Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock here in the UK. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the eastern seaboard of the US. And this is Midweek Motorsport Series 14 and I believe this is episode 19, although our executive producer Tim Gray up in London will confirm that. Good evening, Tim. Is it 19 or is it 18? What did we do last week? Well, I thought we did 18 last week, so I think it's 19. Yes, you're right. We did do 18 last week. Back of the net, Hindoff wins. Uh, there will be football. <laughs> there will be football tonight, and uh, we'll yes, prove it only that involves Leeds and Derby, so no one cares well, apart Declan, from Declan. Declan will will care, and Fran Bleasdale will will care as well because he's a Leeds fan. So we've got two two of our good friends up against each other tonight on a packed program tonight. Tim, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features plus a brand new one. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm introducing something called Nostalgia Corner. What, is that where somebody looks at a turn on a racetrack and go, ah, I remember then, that was different. Stop preempting things. Okay. Uh, that'll be in the second hour of the show. Uh, we always have a big interview, uh, and we'll be talking about Formula One and IndyCar and uh, World Rally Championship and uh, uh, lots of other championships. Uh, and that's all come over the next two hours, yes. Uh, Tim, you need to look at our Skype chat while I say uh, uh, go to a few bits and pieces on at Spectatainment. Uh, hello to Brody, who is has no AFAs tonight. Uh, fresh from Spitfire, turn round uh, a refreshed and training tonight. Thank you for the kind words last week. He says uh, that's fun. All right, I'm very envious of you and your Spitfires uh, and. Uh, Josh Kalbach is saying finally able to take in one of these live. Hopefully uh, some insight into this past weekend's Indy Grand Prix finish will make it. I'm sure she'll be talking about that uh, this evening. El Parry says, when exactly is the ACO FIA meeting on Hypercar P1 replacement? Uh, most likely to hear something back channel and not officially be- before Le Mans. Query, greetings from the Pacific Northwest. Well, El... Uh, we will be talking a bit about WEC tonight. And I can tell you there's a meeting tomorrow. The soft deadline for the uh, for, for manufacturers to commit to the current set of regulations was Tuesday. The hard deadline's tomorrow. But we'll give you some more details as we're going, uh, as we're going through the programme tonight. Okay? So that's worth listening to. Rob Jenner is back from a quick run. Now a curry and listening live to like to Aren't wouldn't you have a run after the curry rather than before? I'd Only if it was a bad curry. Well, exactly. There we go. 
if you're just joining us this evening, good to have your company. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. We've got a packed programme tonight. Our big interview is Brian Gush from Bentley. We'll be talking WEC. We'll be talking the future of WEC. Uh, and we'll be talking, well, everything motorsport. Sarah Rigby is en route home from her evening clinic and she will be home to listen live tonight. Uh, Andy Garrett's barbecue is done, so he's chilling on the deck, uh, sitting uh, out. That, that's a lo- that You have a lovely deck, Andy. I'm very, very envious. Now, that, my, su- uh, my son, is a very good back garden. Very, oh, I see that it's not all yours. I'm just seeing a little fence in the foreground. Uh, Chris Suku, so close but yet so far. Uh, apologies for absence. I'm in Thursday at the moment. Just finished my emails and reports for the day. Almost made it to the beginning of the show, but I will see you on the podcast. Thanks, Chris, for that. Um, Avery Michael Reese is another night shift, so another dose of single-eared listening. Hope no one is panned to the left, so I don't think I'll be able to hear them. Everybody's in the middle. Mm, everyone's in the middle at the moment. Yes, we'll all be in the middle. Uh, Alexander Orkin says, no AFAs this week. No apologies for absence. Finishing cooking a pan... Cooking a pancetta? Oh, sorry. Cooking a pancetta pe- pepper courgette and white wine pesto pasta sauce for supper. Wow. Sounds like too many ingredients there. I had pancetta in my dinner last night. We had uh, a, a, a selection of Indian snatch uh, for uh, dinner, uh, for uh, an appetiser, and then a... Uh, lamb tikka masala homemade curry uh, with Eve's famous peel or rice uh, and some accoutrements and uh, it was all right actually I was quite happy with that tonight uh, Jesse says apologies for absence I've been getting up to speed on any racing but almost done with my semester studying heavily for calculus chemistry finals mm. blue blue been used to seeing red Ferraris ah we'll be talking about that later on Mike Sargent partial EFAs uh, missing out on the second half of tonight's show because in transit, but you'll catch it. That's a shame. The second half is going to be the best half. What do you think? Well, I'm not sure. It's got I'm Brian sure. Gush in it. It's got, it has got Brian. I think and our brand new feature, I, Nostalgia I Corner. Both both halves will be equally as good. Uh, Bingo Ringo says, evening all. Back again after missing last week. It was Florida and Helston, Cornwall, much dancing and beer. Mission Mulzan is now less than four weeks away. Dusting off my FM radio. Looking forward to listening to you all for the whole week. Uh, that's... Uh, hashtag Mobile One RLM Mobile One Regional One 91.2 FM of course Davey Two Brews is in Mark, Paul Markart is in hello Paul uh, Tim's going to try and find out uh, where that music came from you asked me about earlier on Ian McCarthy uh, EFA's listening to the plot podcast for the flight to Ireland in the morning looking forward to hearing greetings to the collective well greetings to you as well Ian uh, hello to Carol Brink to right turn lovers uh, to Alexander Orkin and to Alex Berman. All good to have you. Let's head towards our top story uh, with a reminder that at Specutainment on Twitter is how you get in touch with us. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And you might have noticed we've got the uh, tweeting back because we are out in the garden for the first time this year. It's absolutely fantastic here at Hindhoff Towers tonight. Where's our top story going to take? I think you should turn the volume up on that uh, tweeting because I can't hear it here. Oh, now I can. There you go. Is that better? Yes. Okay. I can hear the distant rumble of the dual carriageway. 
Well, I don't think you can. So I think that's drum and bass from next door's kids, actually. Uh, where do you want to go first? Uh, I briefly heard the voice of Nick Damon there. Good evening, Nick Damon. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. So let's start with Formula One. Hooray! It's live. It's easy. You can modulate me. The Spanish Grand Prix. What a classic race. Fantastic from start to finish. And I won't hear any truck about that. Once again, and, demonstrated. And you owe me a thousand havens. I do owe you a thousand havens, but I was only doing it for effect. Uh, once again, demonstrated that Ferrari are tactically inept. Yes. And not quick enough. The car's not Double quick yes. enough. Yeah, no, um, they, they didn't have a great day, uh, or great weekend, really. Um, yeah, I didn't say it really. It was, it was five in a row now for, um, for Mercedes. Five, one, two. One, five, two. One, two, one, one, two, two, one, two. Two, two fastest laps. Uh, they're only three points of a maximum. And Ferrari do appear to have the, the, the issue. What they are bringing to each race just appears to be a bigger and bigger gun to shoot themselves in the foot with. <laughs> Both face. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, but they, yeah, they tactically, they, 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 they were, I mean, I know what the heck to do. Um, didn't themselves an awful lot of good uh, and managed to, to lose uh, third position because of it. Hmm. Or fourth position, right? Mm. Uh, this was the first one where or the first one for a while where they couldn't have won, even if they got the tactics right, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think what happened was everyone bought their, their updates, um, having um, had four races out the road and, and fighting fires. And, and effectively what happened was that not only did Mercedes have a car that was already pretty quick and operating at an incredibly high level as a team, they then bought the best updates as well and move further away from everyone else. Ferrari's updates didn't, didn't quite work as well as they wanted. They're still struggling to get the tyres to work properly. Uh, and then they managed to ineptly hold each other up in the first lap and let uh, Max Verstappen get past them. And it's very hard to overtake, and the Red Bull obviously is not... Not a slow car. Not a slow car. I mean, obviously, it's perhaps it's having so much power, but it's obviously got perhaps a slightly better chassis. And then they've now turned around and admitted they might have got their concept wrong. So their concept, which works so well in, um, in, as a basic setup, as, it, as what will happen in uh, testing... Uh, once you start developing it, it appears to have not be the platform to move forward. I mean, I'm, I'm quite, I'm surprised they've fought. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not massively surprised they've made these tactical, these tactical errors because they, they started with a silly statement uh, from Benotto saying, oh, we're definitely going to favour Vettel. You don't say that, even if you're going to do it. Um, and they didn't handle that very well. I am surprised they've got the car wrong. I'm not surprised they've got the tactics wrong. And that was the last Catalonian Grand Prix? Well, it looks like it, yeah. Yeah, it looks like we're gonna. We, we obviously we know we're gonna. What's gonna Can I ask it. you a question? Go on, because then. you take far more notice oh, of Formula that, One than is <laughs> actually <laughs> <laughs> yes necessary. <laughs> Good for anyone. I was gonna say mm. um, there were two national anthems played at the start of that race. I can't remember that happening anywhere ever before. No, they've been. I think they've been doing that for a while actually. Um, I'm sure the Spanish government isn't particularly chuffed about that. Given yeah, the but they don't pay for the Grand Prix. Catalonian. Do they? Um, well, it's, well, it's two years ago. The, the big, the big row, but it's still rumbling, isn't it? Catalonian independence. So, I'm a bit. That's a very interesting question. Do they do double national anthem anywhere else? I mean, perhaps something maybe maybe to answer that one. In Missouri at Canadian Time Motorsport Park. Yeah, but not in F1 though. I don't tend to worry no. about that. To be honest, it's, no. Um, it might, it might be there's a, a country that has two, two anthems, but I can't think of one offhand who'd have the equal issue. Mm. But yeah, and the race itself was okay. I, mean, I think it's, um, I didn't think the race was as bad as people made out because you know well, I watched it all the way through uh, you know what do you expect someone's they, they, uh, the I didn't I, fall asleep the thing I find interesting is that is that people seem to be very upset that Mercedes is still good 
but can the, I, can they I weren't one quite so upset when Fry was still good for six years. Well, can I can I just make one observation about about Mercedes mm. uh, Benz? Is that their car did look more of a handful than I've seen it before, yeah. particularly Bottas's, but also Lewis as well. But they managed to drive around it. But it's interesting. It's very very the rare. The end was really it's very loose. very rare that I find an RC. Uh, some equivalency with full-size racing because the cars are very, very different. My radio-controlled yes. cars can turn on the sixpence. Yes. But it's a well-known fact the edgier the car is, the faster it is. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't tend to work for full-scale cars because it, it, it obviously is working... Not in Formula 1 when you've got downforce. Yeah, it obviously yeah. isn't wor- is working for um, for Mercedes. Yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're all sitting there going, how, how come Ferrari were getting closer and now they've dropped the ball again? Well, I'd like to refer... Uh, your old gentleman to the years 2002 and 2004 well in 2001 and 2003 the, the rivals have got much closer to Ferrari again and then Ferrari just kicked on and dominated the season ridiculously and so I, 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 can I just, just a moment mm-hmm. to Tim if I may because I'm going to pay Nick a compliment here because it was him that said last week that his contact within uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, did say oh yeah We've not been happy with the first four races. Really this glad to get back. Really <laughs> get back to Europe. We're going to get all of our can, upgrades and we'll be much better. We can sort all the problems we've been carrying so far. And I'm thinking, what are four races? What problems are they? <laughs> mm. um, yes, Tim, you're going to ask me a question. How far have we built a car that's too comfortable to drive then? Uh, oh, that's a good I question. Think it lack, it, I think it I am not a master aerodynamicist, so this is, this is just me perusing what goes on, but it does seem that it lacks ultimate downfalls. Um, so whilst they probably do have the best engine, um, they don't have the best overall package, uh, and it lacks ultimate downforce, and it is very comfortable. And a comfortable car on the whole tends to be a car that's understeering, and that isn't the fastest way to go around a track. No, but obviously we'll never know because uh, no one other than uh, the Ferrari drivers will ever drive the car, and they're not going to say that. No, but it's it's pretty obvious that the car's not going forward the way, you know, the way it should do. It's getting the, the gap's getting bigger. Why the hard tyres for Leclerc? Oh, Why the hard tyres for Leclerc? I don't know what they're doing at all. I they really have got. A, I said the other week. I was only really joking. What? Have they got a magic what? eight ball? Well, no, the, They've got a magic the, eight the ball. The weird thing is, is that when when Maurizio Alberni was given the the big elbow. Everyone, hey, fantastic! We got Matteo Binotto, and he knows everything. But so far, he's he's literally taken a shambles and turned it into the Keystone Cops. It's like <laughs> you can't you can't sugarcoat it, and you know, and you look at what what you know, but what they've done, and they've they've got two, yeah, both right. Apart from Fettel's mistake in um, Bahrain and Leclerc's mistake in qualifying in Baku. They're actually doing a solid job, the drivers. Vettel was Vettel really pushed it that first corner, and, and that was what he did was not a mistake. He paid a lot for just he knew the only chance he had was to get past the first corner, and yeah, he braked half a yard too late and locked up. Well, well, well done you, basically. I'm saying good for trying because otherwise, what are you going to do? Alan Prosser has tweeted at Spec Your Team and said Ferrari losing third. Uh, did they miss in? <laughs> Mishear and misinterpret go forth and multiply. Yeah, might well be. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it's, it's, I mean, uh, a bit of a well done to Haas for finally getting their tyres to stick together for, for a lap. Yes. Also, looks like McLaren are, are, are doing quite well in the upgrade department, and Renault are lost. Uh, can we move to the Wolf? Uh, sorry, the Haas. The Stag. The, the Stag. Haas. 
The Stag. Stag. That went you well, didn't Stag, it? don't you? Yes, I was. No, we, we, we could have played the Crown Court. Shouldn't we uh, say that when I've got the Triumph outside? You might get upset. Yeah. 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 Uh, we, we could have played the Crown Court uh, theme here, Tim. Do, because do yeah. it's suing. Because there's a bit of... There's a bit of... Um, bit of court action. A bit of courtroom talk. Yes, bit of court action, and it's, it's not tennis. Tell us about that. Well, you told me because uh, this is a story that you found. Uh, well, it, rich energy. This um, is this rich, is rich energy, which uh, doesn't a, really exist. A number of our listeners who have been watching this very, very carefully, uh, and I'm particularly indebted to everyone who sent this through to me. It's also been on the Midweek Motorsport uh, Listeners Collective, uh, with the full transcript of the judges. Uh, decision on this. This is rich energy. <laughs> yes, and run by run by some bloke who's obviously a bit bat bat crazy, um, and uh, yeah, who started off when his team was slightly faster than Red Bull in the first day of testing, uh, professing that that meant his energy drink was better than Red Bull. Even Excellent. No one knows what his energy drink is. Uh, oh, but you haven't. You obviously haven't read the judgment, have you? Uh, when he was dishonest and falsifying and backdating records to make it seem like he had thought the idea beforehand. You mean? I am if satisfied that some of Mr. Story's evidence was incorrect or misleading, <laughs> and that he was involved in the manufacture of documents during the course of litigation Brilliant. to provide additional support for the defendant's case. This was I do not accept either Mr. Story or Mr. Kelly as credible or reliable witnesses. <laughs> I treat all of their evidence with a high degree <laughs> of caution. I am satisfied on the balance of probability probabilities that both Mr. Kelly and Mr. Story have lied about not being familiar with White's logo. I find it's more likely than not that they were familiar with it and that they directly and knowingly copied it. This is her on a judge, Melissa Clark, sitting in the sitting as a judge for the High Court in the matter of ATB, Sales Limited, Rich Energy Limited, William John Story and yes. uh, Stacks Sorry, just, 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 just White just Cycles. Have a, have a Stag logo yeah. that is similar or the same as the logo that had been incorporated by Rich Energy with their drink. Obviously, Rich Energy is a significantly newer product than Stag Cycles. Uh, Rich Energy was saying that they had no idea Stag Cycles had it and it, they're not competing. And um, you know, Can White I just, however... Can I just go down to the brilliant uh, paragraph 33? Um, <laughs> oh, of, yeah, well, it's always my favourite paragraph. I love paragraph 33. Um, here we go. Uh, let me see. Quoted in the press t- February 19, saying that the first event defendant had produced 90 million cans. Mr Story explained that he had produced... 90 million cans, but had not yet filled or sold them. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's where I'm going to leave oh, that. But they, I, when pressed, in fairness, they said they may have filled 3 million cans out of the 90 million. That's not impressive. They're now sitting in a warehouse I somewhere. do not believe they have got 87 million cans in storage. They're <laughs> unbelievably expensive. Oh, that's... Did they just basically just crush them and and carry I mean, Rich Energy is one of those sponsors who you expect to be sponsoring F1 about 1987, not now. Because Mm. they are the definition of questionable. Rich Energy has uh, released a statement. Yes! That's exactly right. Yes, let's let's give them their new their, their new their new uh, logo. logo, which is a question mark with "Yes, you're a liar." <laughs> uh, today, the judgment was released in a claim brought by White Bikes against us in respect of our stag logo. We are disappointed no, no, with the it's judgment. Not your stag logo, it's their stag logo. <laughs> yes. We are disappointed with the judgment and the findings of the judge, which run counter to our submissions. 
Yes, because she says you lied. <laughs> yes, because because the evidence didn't support what you submitted. What does this mean for Haas? We are considering all of our legal options, including appeal. Well, I mean, uh, I suppose it just means they're going to put a have new they sticker actually, on the car. Have they actually put any? Um, have they put any um, money into it? Well, presumably they have, because Haas have got a car and two drivers who aren't talking about uh, walking out because they've not been paid. No, I'm sure that they have. Alan Prosser has just tweeted, I'm guessing Rich Energy bought the naming rights to the Circuit of Wales, one just as fictional as the other. Mm, That's true. Fair point, well made. Um, Well, speaking of circuits, of course, when we talk about Barcelona, we'll we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on the the Rich Energy thing and Haas. Uh, we've got to move on quickly tonight because we've got a lot. We I have mean, got a lot, lot to get in. Five, uh, five circuits uh, are at the end of their tether this year. Yes, Jim. we've already talked about Barcelona. Yeah. We already know about Silverstone. Yeah. Uh, we've already reported that uh, Monza is likely to get a new Monza contract. Has Monza yes, has signed. Yes, it hasn't been announced. It's signed. Uh, Mexico, who knows what's going on Not in Mexico. Mm. Run out of money. Um, although they are talking about getting... Uh, bikes in Mexico, aren't they? White bikes, by the chance. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Spa. Yes, and well, spa. so the, the, what has been said is that we're going to stick with 21 races next year. We know that uh, Hanoi is coming on board. Um, and now we have has announced, as of Tuesday, yep. that the absolutely perfect venue of Zandvoort is back. Well, you say that, but <laughs> Chase Carey, who is the man with the magnificent facial hair from Liberty Media, has given us three reasons why we should be going back to Zandvoort. We have an incredible history at Zandvoort. It was 35 years ago that we last raced here, but we've had some of our great races here, some of our greatest heroes have raced here, and it really it's a track that is a tremendously important part of Formula One. Second reason, really the passion and excitement that exists here in Holland. Holland geographically is a small country, but there's no question the heart, the passion is second to none. And I think the energy in Holland is just captivating. You know, obviously Max Verstappen's helped, you know, give another dimension to that. But there is just a love for this sport that attracts us here. And when I go to some of the tracks and see the sea of orange that exists, it's incredibly special. And I think the third reason is we're thrilled to bring a race a new race to Europe. And it's not a new race, obviously, because we raced here 35 years ago, but for a generation of fans, this is going to be a new race. And we're excited to add new races like the one in Vietnam that we'll also add next year. But Europe's our home. Europe's our foundation. Europe is the base on which we build this sport. And so to bring the sport back to a great iconic track in Europe um, is incredibly important to us. We haven't, sign, we haven't finalized the calendar, and so we probably will not do that still for another month or two. Actually, I don't think we finalized it last year till August, but we'd hope to do it a little earlier. But I think in general, it will be around this time of year, essentially pre-Monaco, and so the early part of uh, as we head into Europe. But we'll finalize that in short order. I don't think you can argue with much of that. Certainly 35 years ago is historic, so that yes. expresses point yes. one. Yes, uh, point, absolutely right. Point two, Sea of Orange. Well, sea Rich Energy orange. just need to release all of their stored product into a lake, and then That's you've got good. a Sea yeah. of Orange. Very good. Uh, and what was the third one? 
Um, it's in Europe. It's new. Oh, it's in Europe. That's it's right. Yes. Some yeah. No one is going to deny that it is in Europe. It is yeah. in Europe, and, and Holland's a small country. They don't seem to be bigger than Singapore or Monaco or several other places. That was from the press conference on I, Monday, yeah, and, I mean, I, and I, I, I watched all of that. Most of it was in Dutch, but thanks to our friends at Creventic, I've, I've learned to understand quite a bit of Dutch. <laughs> um, and um, there's a lot of work that needs doing, including a new pit lane, new pit complex. They're going to move the start-finish line. They're going to make Panky quite a lot corner. of changes to, I think, five of the corners. Yes. And, and uh, Jan Lammers is confident that anybody who can lay a tarmac can do it in two weeks, Nick. Absolutely, because that's the easy way to do it. But demolishing and re- rebuilding the entire circuit is really, really easy. Let's keep on running the whole thing because you've got 11 and a half months. Not an issue, mate. My driveway was done in two days, John. Well, there yeah, we are. Yeah, but that's, I mean, was I think, that cut tarmac? Was I yeah, don't tarmac. Have, is that Martin, Martin Brundle? Uh, um, <laughs> did he recommend? Definitely did not, no. no. Right, OK. Um, I think, yeah, it, 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 Sanford has as, as much... You know, right to have an event anywhere else. It's got the, the money's there from all the fabulous, all the, the billionaires. It's um, there's three, it's there's not, three. It's not a great track. There's three four racing. Obviously, it's a very historic track, a Hugenholtz track. Of course, that has been massively edited since the yes. last Grand Prix. Um, yeah, fantastic. But they need more than eleven and a half months to get it sorted out properly. There are three uh, very wealthy um, angels, investors, in that Heineken have already. Uh, signed up as the sponsor of the Grand Prix, and no surprise there, big no, Dutch no, no. company, and yeah. they uh, well probably. Um, oh no, that'd be Carlsberg, wouldn't it? <laughs> and uh, and they sponsor a lot of Formula One races. Yes, they indeed. Do a bit of that. Um, we've been there, Nick, including yes, nice. currently Mexico, which might not be on the calendar. Well, so no, that's the money to spare. Well, it's a good point. We've we, been we, there, we, Nick. We, we've, stayed, we've stayed at the one hotel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how much parking is there there? None. None. Whatsoever. But Dutch people don't drive cars. They have electric bikes and trains. Well, that was the other thing that Jan Lammers said. Everyone is going to come on buses, trains and electric bikes. Do you remember the last time uh, a track was really glib about how people were going to get there? That was up recard last year by any chance. And was it total chaos or pandemonium or complete chaos and pandemonium? Um, it was beyond that. Yes. I mean, they there are some people still waiting to get out. Well, they're lucky because they apparently put in a whole new system for this this year. What? A zip line? I don't know. What? <laughs> to but get down the hill? Tim? In Zanford, yes. hopefully we've had that planned out. But, I mean, it's a, it's a big ask. Tim? The zip line down the hill at Rickard would be fantastic. Yes, it would. <laughs> Have a go. Tim, you've been, you've been on public transport. I've been to Zanford using public transport, and it yeah. was absolutely fine. Yes. With one... One change. One thing that I would like not to do, and that is not have to change at some little village that's got nothing but a brewery. Oh, no. It's Heineken, be right. It wasn't a Heineken brewery. Oh, it wasn't no. Amstel either. I don't know who it was. Oh, so what, what were you going to see? I Us. went to the Zandvoort uh, yes, yes. 12 Hours. Of yes, yes, yes. So, which has was a grand total of audience of 350 people. And I was one of them. Yes, but I'm just thinking that, obviously, for the... 80,000 people at least they'll need for 100,000 that's not going to work on a train with a change uh, uh, the no that's why I'm su- suggesting they need to introduce direct trains <laughs> from Sheephole to Zandvoort uh, so if, Zan- if Zandvoort change. is coming in then one of the five might be going out and they're definitely be going out because there's going to be the same number of races next year so there's two coming in we're going to lose two which is going to be unfortunately uh, it looks like at the moment Spain and Mexico Spain and more likely Mexico I believe, though we had a conversation at dinner and you said, no, it's not the case, but I mm. do believe that Silverton has signed. I believe that, uh, I know Monza has signed, 
and I'm pretty certain that Spars it would be a no-brainer to sign. But you know that's and then they will come in. But they obviously the actual announcements will be timed when the tracks themselves feel it is the most beneficial to do it, even though the contracts are in place. Yes, yes. I, I think it's going to be difficult, but if it gets pulled off, it will be great. Uh, and I love Zandvoort. I've been there a couple of times. I think it's. Um, I had my most miserable day in the pit lane in Zandvoort. Really? It was freezing cold. It was driving rain, and my IFB, which is the radio, how I hear people uh, on the from from you guys and Johnny dissolved, did not work in <laughs> the pit dissolved. garages. So I had to stand out in the cold and the wet five hours. Sorry, for seven hours, I was mis- <laughs> frozen and miserable because, of course, the wind can really whip off the North Sea there. You know, it does. <laughs> it blow. It blows in. Following day, it was lovely. We uh, will be talking more about circuits and contracts with circuits uh, later on in the show. Oh, super. Uh, but, uh, and that's with uh, one of our guests, who is going to be Stuart Pringle from Silverstone. Good. Uh, but uh, let's quickly move on to, uh, very briefly, Formula 2. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, because that uh, continued after their uh, debut in Baku. They uh, were in Spain as well, and excitement uh, from the very start with someone stalling on the formation lap. Yes, uh, and then the pole sitter drops to seventh by the time he gets to the, the first corner. Yes, then Good. crashes. Excellent. Uh, Mick, uh, I was going to say Michael Schumacher. Mick Schumacher Pulls off. Uh, ran wide, got a puncture. Possibly got a puncture and then ran wide. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, Giuliano Lacey beached himself in the gravel. Nice. And that was just lap one. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, but the, the net effect was, Tim, is that the person who I genuinely thought was rubbish coming this season won again. Yes, Nicholas Latifi is actually very good, isn't Which he? Which is really bad news for, for Robert Kubica, isn't it, really? Massively. Because he's got cash. What's he got? Cash. If only you could see. He's got Canadian cash. You know how much Williams love Canadian... Sorry, team awful Williams love Canadian oh, have cash. They, have they closed the gap a bit? They have? No, they <laughs> we, did. We've had to shorten George it. We've Russell got so much in much, this no, George uh, Russell was show. Much, George Russell was much closer in qualifying. Right. George Russell is doing a fabulous job. He really is. Robert in, Kubica is not having a good time. No. In the sprint race, Callum Eilert started from pole uh, and lost the lead off the line to Antoine Hubert. The safety car was deployed immediately when uh, Matsushita went up in flames. Trevor Carlin said, we don't know what happened, but it looks expensive to me. Uh, Nick De Vries took the win. Luca uh, Giotto was second. Callum Eilert was third. Uh, De Vries nearly wasn't able to race at all, though, at the weekend. Why was that? Lost his backing because he's no longer a McLaren driver. He no, lost no. his race suit. Lost his race suit, yeah, mm. absolutely. They accidentally threw it away after uh, Baku. Blimey. <laughs> uh, fortunately, his team, ART, also runs uh, a driver of equally diminutive stature in Formula 3. Uh, so to race, uh, raced wearing the race suit of David Beckman. You missed that. You should have said they run someone in midget racing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still to come. Uh, we have still to come. Uh, as well as some bikes uh, and some other things. Uh, where are we going next, John? Joining us now on Midweek Motorsport is Paul Trusswell at the Walking Data Centre. Hello, Paul. How are you? Uh, hello, John. Yes, very well indeed. Good to have your company this evening, and thank you for joining us. What want to, now that the... 
I was going to say now that the dust settled, but I should probably say now that the hail, snow, rain and everything else has settled from Spa, take a look back to the penultimate round of this extended WEC season. Uh, I mean, first of all, we, we, we can't talk about this race without talking about the weather, how very British of us, but it re- did really have everything and, and that did affect the race a little bit. Uh, just a little, yeah. Uh, I mean, th- what, what I, uh, I say was surprised at, um, Spa's weather is notoriously fickle. I mean, anybody who's ever been in that area has known how you can get one bit of weather at one part of the circuit, another yes. bit of weather at another part of the circuit. But um, people from Michelin had been predicting the fact that there would be um, horrible weather, a possibility of snow showers, um, almost a week beforehand. So yes. uh, in a sense people were prepared for uh, uh, unpredictable weather so you know I know it's difficult to say be prepared for the unpredictable but um, it was always forecast that the weather was going to be up and down there was going to be very heavy rain and it was going to be very very cold so the possibility of that rain turning to sleet or snow uh, was always going to be there so yes it made the race very difficult for everybody but they should have been ready for the fact that the race was going to be very difficult and I think what we learned was that some of them were actually ready for it Um, and they they did have not just a plan B and a plan C but F, G and H up their sleeves. I think double double Z in in some cases uh, for some of them as well. Now via your blog, Truss's blog on uh, on Blogspot, you regularly go back, look at the data and uh, try and make sense of what's happened in uh, a um, using the numbers uh, as a guide, and you've had the opportunity to do this, and, and that's what I'd, I'd like to talk about now, uh, if I if I could, uh, and basically to uh, zero in, if we can, uh, on GTE Pro and P1s at the at the front of the field, and both set of P1s, if you don't mind. But I'd like to start with GTE um, because. Uh, I, I was sort of following it from afar, obviously, because I was on air at the time at Mid-Ohio. Um, but it, that could have been a very different race if the, if the race hadn't been stopped for weather. Uh, well, yes. Um, and this is where I say people were preparing, preparing for it, because uh, there was a very serious danger that all of the leading group were going to run out of fuel. Now, um, I wasn't there yesterday uh, sorry i wasn't there at the race either but um looking at the way that the data goes and having spoken to the people afterwards um aston martin claimed that they had lots of fuel left and would have been able to run to the full six hours had it have run to the full six hours um but looking at it they were actually the shortest on fuel of everybody whereas both whereas both ferrari and porsche admitted to somebody I know that they would have had to have stopped for fuel so um, and that was even had the safety car remained out so it was getting very it was getting very very tight at the end on fuel Um, and as I say Aston actually um, although they were the most confident had run the longest stint towards the end of the race Um, so um, that was very interesting, but of course it's one of these things that we'll never know because no. they never they never tell us at the end of the race yeah. how much fuel was left in the car. Who, who um, do you think might have benefited from that? Then who was the first person you think that could have gone, or, or basically was were they all compromised in in that same way? 
they were all compromised in that same way. Now, if you'll just bear with me for a little while, I just want to bring up something on one of the computers here, Excellent. and then I'll be able to get back to you. Excellent. <laughs> Everybody has in their mind's eye, uh, Trusses, uh, a picture of you uh, in the walking data centre, surrounded by 127 screens, of which you are now bringing up data on merely 120 of them. It, it's not quite that big, but... Um, <laughs> I have to admit, I was—I um, didn't quite prepare as well um, as I should have done to get all the uh, screens that I needed um, before you contacted me. Ah. Well, we'll give Trusses a moment or two. Thank you. No problem. Uh, and just remind you, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, RS1, across the Radio Show Limited network as the data streams down like a... Uh, like a scene from The Matrix with all those numbers dropping down in front of Paul at the moment. We're talking Spa, we're talking the WEC, and we're in the GTE Pro category. Uh, and Paul is going to give us the answer of who might have benefited uh, had it had to go for the full six hours and not been red flagged with 20 minutes to go in GTE Pro. They were all short of fuel, is what we've just learned. And the Abacus, I can hear the Abacus ticking over there, Paul. Getting there. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, uh, LMP2 was a great race we'll put that to one side because um, obviously that is effectively a spec formula in terms of engine and fuel and that comes down to which teams and which drivers uh, do a a better job uh, and it'll be the usual you know what fight at Le Mans anyway uh, which we're all looking forward to of course and don't forget we've got full live coverage of test day uh, here on RSL, the only broadcaster still that does that. So that's the Sunday, the first Sunday in June. That is a busy weekend for us. Uh, we'll have IMSA on Saturday from Detroit, and then Spa, and uh, Spa, Le Mans on Sunday uh, from the Circuit de la Sarthe. Right, Paul. Right. So. Um Porsche, as always, are fairly clever about these things. Uh, They had two cars running in the top six, um, and uh, one of them they brought in for a second stop in order to be sure of that one being able to get to the flag. The Ah. other one they they left out. So the 92 car, Michael Christensen was driving it. Uh, He came in for an extra stop under the final uh, safety car period, whereas Ricard Leitz and James Collado, both uh, Ricard Leitz in the the Porsche, James Collado in the 51 Ferrari both stayed out during the final safety car but as I say they both had more fuel anyway on board than Aston Martin did Maxime Martin driving the Aston Martin um, were, had come in for fuel just before the final safety car right. and um, as a result of that as I say the Aston was running perilously close on fuel even had the safety car stayed out until the six hour mark as it was it came in with about 12 minutes or the race was red flagged with about 12 minutes to go um but as i say that car had been out uh for around about an hour and 40 minutes oh really um and okay so bearing in mind a lot of that was in in, under safety cars so the normal one hour limit for a gte was stretched because of fuel saving but he was running very very close Mm. um so who would have benefited to go back to your question i finally got to the answer um well, definitely Ferrari, uh, James Collado and Ricard Leeds, but they too had been out for an hour and 20 minutes um, and some of that was under safety car, so they were getting close. If it would have gone green for those last 12 minutes, yes. uh, then I think both Ferrari and Porsche would have been very short uh, on fuel. 
And that's when the other Porsche, the 92 car, because they were all on the same lap, yes. Yes. Uh, would have been able to uh, come through and potentially take the lead had it have gone to a full six hours with a green phase at the end. Um, mm. But of course, they were, I won't say gambling, but uh, they were fairly certain that conditions weren't going to improve. It certainly wasn't going to get any better. It's the old adage, though, Paul, isn't it? Of you can only play the hand that you're given. And, I, and I'm always very uh, sceptical. And you and I have had this discussion at Le Mans and at, at other places around the world when we've been talking about it. I was always told that you work with the prevailing conditions. Unless you've got absolutely solid information to the contrary, if it's raining and you come in and the, the track's wet enough for wets, you put wets on. You don't gamble on putting slicks on in the fact that it might clear up in the next few minutes and vice, no. and vice versa. You can look great and once in a while, maybe once or twice out of ten times, you might look great and be a hero, but the other eight times you're going to look a bit foolish. Uh, exactly right. And I think the... the, the, the it, but it wasn't just weather, you know. It was what um, the safety car was going to do, whether there was going to be a red flag. And I mm. think that was where you then have to, uh, you, you know, just take a view as to what you know about the way that Eduardo Freitas runs races uh, and the type of thing that he might be doing. Um, And you may even sort of send a little message through on the the network system to him saying, uh, look, Eduardo, don't you think you ought to be red flagging this? Yes, and I'm sure everybody... Because we've got no fuel left. Yes, because it's raining too hard or snowing too hard. And I'm I'm sure that that happened. And and it's also about track position as well. If you've got the position, it's far more difficult in Aston Martin's case for the guys at Aston Martin Racing to say, right, well, it might get better um, and we might go back to green, so we'd better stop now. Uh, and what, and give up a potential victory if it does get red flagged? No, of course you're not going to do that. Uh, that's what I'm talking about, about playing the hand that you've got. If you're further back down and you've got two cars in the fight like Porsche, then by all means, how very Porsche, as you mentioned, to, to split the strategy and say, well, we've got it covered either way. Um, actually, what we're looking for is to win the World Championship this weekend, and we can do that if we finish here and here. And they did. Congratulations to the Porsche GT team. Um, so, you can, as I say, you can only play the cards that, you, that you're given. Uh, we've got Paul Truswell on the line from uh, the Walking Data Centre at the moment. We're looking back at Spa. Uh, let's look at LMP1, Paul. Uh, Toyota uh, still, you know, doing what they do at the front of this field, but didn't have it all their own way. Um, is that a performance gap that is narrowing between Toyota and the private ears or was that again down to the unusual circumstances that we had at the Spa Six Hours? I think if anything the weather conditions played more into Toyota's hands um, looking at the performance gap uh, between Toyota and the non-hybrids uh, at Spa. I mean, we, it, it's great because we've got the data from Spa this year, the data from Spa last year. Both of them, people were preparing for Le Mans. Um, but it, as I say, if you look at the gap between what we had at Spa last year and what we had at Spa this year, the gap this year was actually bigger in the race. Um, and of course, so it's in the same season, so it's under exactly the same set of technical regulations. Uh, yes and no. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, but, um, yes, sort of. The, but, as I say, the, the, the gap in the race, um, both SMP and Rebellion, were a little bit further off the Toyota pace in the race. Bear in mind, a lot of the race was held under the safety car, so this is when the uh, track was green um, and dry. Um, the 
Toyotas were a little bit ahead. But of course, Toyota were running as uh, in their low downforce trim on both occasions in order to prepare for Le Mans, uh, whereas the uh, SMP BRs and the Rebellions had the opportunity to run a little bit closer. Now, where I said that the regulations um, weren't quite the same is all to do with the dreaded fuel flow formula, because Last year at Spa, uh, the fuel flow for the non-hybrids, 110 kilograms per hour, that's the rate at which you can use fuel that these fuel um, flow monitors monitor and race control keeps an eye on throughout the race. 110 um, kilograms per hour was the um, maximum fuel flow that the non-hybrids were allowed last year. This year's Spa race, it was 115. So that's very nearly 5% more fuel that you're being allowed to use. So by rights, the um, rebellions and SMPs, the BRO1s, should have been a lot closer. And in qualifying, indeed, they were. Look at the gap in qualifying was less than half a percent uh, between Toyota and SMP. Compare that to last year, it was over one, in fact, it was nearly 1.3 percent uh, the difference last year. So that's an improvement of about three times that um, the privateers mm. have got. So, um, yes, they are getting closer. I just don't think they were able to exploit it so much in the conditions and the fact that uh, when it was dry, the Toyotas were really just able to use uh, use the um, the low downforce on the straight, the Camel straight, and just open up the gap a little bit. But it does beg the question, and looking forward to what's going to happen at Le Mans, John, um, the likelihood is and the regulation hasn't actually been published the EAT no. hasn't actually been published yet um, but the suggestion that I've heard I think I'm allowed to say this is that it will be going down if anything for the non-hybrid so they'll be getting oh. 110 at most and possibly less than that and no um, change to the the hybrid cars no change to the hybrid cars because Toyota has um, signed a contract with the FIA to guarantee that that doesn't happen. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think the line to Woking went down a little bit there. Um, <laughs> so, so um, as I say, Toyota certainly won't be losing any performance. But um, I think the other thing that the non-hybrids have to do is to actually utilise what they have, because certainly over the course of this year, this super season, um, as we've heard, um, the gap has been coming down and the uh, FIA ACO has been uh, increasing the performance potential for the mm. non-hybrids, but they haven't quite been able to exploit that advantage that they've been given. Still new cars, of course. Let's not forget, That's you know, precise. this is the first year of those new cars in this formula. And, you know, I, I think that's easy to forget. Um, and, you know, we talked about it in the Le Mans previews last year, and this is still their first year. And you're up against a car that's very highly developed. You're up against the might of a factory team. And you're up against a potential performance advantage in the hybrids anyway, which everybody understands why the hybrids have got to have that because you want to showcase that, that technology. In terms of SMP and Rebellion... Which one of those two has, has done the best job then? Which, which is the best of the rest? A P1 bis, as we used to call it many yes. years ago. Yes. So, so, by the way, we're referring back to many years ago, Paul, when you and I sat in the studios at Le Mans, and you know, we're, we're looking at a quote-unquote secondary class for P1 then. So things haven't changed all, all that much. But which one, which one between Rebellion and SMP do you think are, are doing the better job? Uh, depends how you want to measure it. In terms of results, then Rebellion has very much done the better job over the course of the year so far. Um, 
and in terms of its performance uh, most of the time rebellion has beaten um the uh, the SMPs. However, in terms of the improvement, if you look at the mm. gradient of that uh, of the season, SMPs reliability has got better and better and better as the season has worn on. Um, and you were talking a moment ago about Toyota and the way that um, they go endurance racing. Uh, I mean, they've had so much experience now at yes. endurance racing. They've been able to practice doing all the things that they did wrong when um, they seemed unable to win at Le Mans but they, they've now practiced um, and got everything right uh, and that is a luxury which neither SMP nor Rebellion have had open to them where they've been able to practice driving around a circuit with three wheels on the car or changing the gearbox or yep. whatever it is which is exactly what Audi used to do back in the day many many yep. stories we've told from Brad Kettler uh, from Lena from from Howden Haynes about them doing exactly that where they go and take road Atlanta for three days and I mean Bill Adams Shay's dad used to do it. He'd be yep. on one radio to Brad Kettler, and Brad Kettler would say, right, at turn seven next time around, you radio in, and you're going to tell the guys you've got a turbo that's blown, or you've got a wheel that's fallen off, or, or, or. And the guys in the pit didn't know and just had to react. And that's the sort of thing that teams that are funded in the way that they're funded, that's the sort of thing that they can do, Paul. And yeah. it means that nothing, in inverted well, commas, nothing is a surprise to them. Well, very little these days, that's right. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I, there was another story that came out of Toyota um, at one point this year about them having a test session at Paul Ricard, um, which they were sharing the circuit with other people at. And the other people couldn't quite understand why they were sending the car out literally on three wheels um, <laughs> because they wanted to do a lap with only three wheels on the car just to see what it would do. Oh, really? Um, and, you know, and everybody's saying, oh, no, they're all going to think we've made a mistake. Um but, you know, it, it was all part of the plan. Um, so to get back to the rebellion SMP, I think, what, as I say, what SMP has managed to do is to start getting to the point where they're not actually going to that extreme where Toyota is, no. but they're nailing down some of the things that went wrong earlier in the season. They're getting the reliability uh, far better sorted out. Um, I mean, the first couple of rounds of the season, they weren't scoring any points at all um but by uh, the time we got to um what was it uh, fuji then shanghai um the smp was no question quicker than the rebellion uh, and at spa last weekend as well um the smp was quicker again than the rebellion mm. although in, in terms of points rebellion ended up scoring the more points from the weekend but um i think there is going to be a a good battle in in that non-hybrid class that's lmp1 bis but the the non-hybrid the privateers uh class um unfortunately they're not going to be able to hold a candle to toyota come come le mans um but that's not going to detract from the race no um because it you know not only do we have the the, the race for the overall victory but we have the race for the classes as well uh, and it would be a huge fillet for both uh, well, for either rebellion or smp to get a good result at le mans and i think through the course of the season let say rebellion may have held the upper hand in terms of their ability to score points um but smp are certainly not letting them off lightly nowadays in terms of pure performance paul um, which of those two do you think has the upper hand? I understand at Le Mans, if we're looking forward to Le Mans now, which we kind of 
are. Um, I understand that that is it, that it comes into the turn if everything else remains equal. <laughs> brackets, which it never does at Le Mans. Close brackets. Uh, but in, in terms of pure performance, SMP or Rebellion for you? SMP. Right, and they have made um, that improvement within this transition season. Yeah, yeah. Good no, for I them. Think, I, th- I, th- I think so. Um, I would expect them to be on the second row of the grid, certainly for wow. uh, for, for the race. Um, and I think the trick for them then is going to be to translate second row of the grid into um, a podium place because, yes. you know, let's just assume that Toyota lock out the top two seats on the, on the podium. Um, but so there is a place on the podium going begging and... <laughs> However, I mean, we always look forward to Le Mans. You say we're looking forward to Le Mans. We're always looking forward to Le Mans. But um, I think it's going to be one of the non-hybrids that fills that third step on the podium. Um, and I'm I'm a great fan of Rebellion. This is not against no, no. Hayden and his crew because um, I, I love the team to bits. But I do think that SMP does have a slightly quicker car. And if they can run fault-free for the 24 hours, yes. uh, then they're going to be able to get the place. Um Rebellion will be trying to be their usual efficient self. They won't. They will be their usual efficient self. Um, and because they are, they will probably get the third spot yeah. on the podium. But but that's um, the fascination of Le Mans, and that's why we look forward to it. It's an unknown. Absolutely, yeah. love it a bit. Paul, thank you very much indeed. Um, you're clearly still crunching some of the numbers from a couple of weekends ago at, at Spa. When can we see something on the the Trusses blog? Do you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to get time to do it because really? uh, there's all kinds of things. Yeah, I've got a lot to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's. Um, I mean, the good thing, uh, as, as you know, I'm, I'm I'm now a full-time motor racing person as opposed to trying to be uh, a part-time motor racing person and a full-time IT consultant. But um, the days have just filled up with things to do. Oh, so, that isn't but, it. Um, and I, I always said, I always said the blog, uh, you could tell how well I'm doing by how much goes onto the blog. Now, um, th- there was a little hiatus in March because we suddenly had a flurry of activity in March. And there's a flurry of activity ahead uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. But um, keep your eyes on it. Okay. Uh, Trustersblog.co.uk and we'll see what, uh, see. It, there's always a surprise on there because I end up talking about Citroen C1 racing and my thoughts on Dan Gurney and all sorts of things oh, on there. Yeah, I love the Citroen C1 uh, uh, blog, actually. Thank Thanks, Paul. Thanks very much. And um, if you don't mind, we'll we'll have you back for a little insert into some of our into our uh, Le Mans preview programs as well, please. Look forward to it. Thank you, Paul Truswell, joining us tonight. Looking back at WEC Spa a couple of weeks ago. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports. Where next, Tim? Uh, I'm going to go to Japan next. Is Nick Damon still there? Hi. Yes, he is. Yeah. Where am I going to go? Good. What do you think he's going to do? There's still food here. Well, yeah. I thought he might have run off with the baked Alaska. <laughs> it's not baked. Oh, no, just Alaska. Oh, Alaska. It's an unbaked one. Yeah, it's very mm. good. Uh, uh, by, by the way, just a quick reminder from what Paul was saying there. Uh, Mobile One Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM for test day uh, and for the whole race week. Uh, right, where did you say uh, we're We, we have the full working data centre on test day, do we? Uh, it, we um, uh, at walking, presumably. In walking, obviously, yes. yes. And, of course, it, it goes on tour to Le Mans. Yes. And the whole of the Le South region has to put uh, an extra uh, 25 gigawatt... Nuclear reactor. Because that's reactor what they do in line. France. Yeah, exactly. Where we're off to next, sorry? Uh, Japan. That? Super GT. Oh, yeah. Held a tyre test at Autopolis at the weekend. Did you ever get to go to Autopolis no, on this former name? No, no, no. Autopolis? I think the last one at Autopolis was 95, I think. I didn't start doing did Japan until 96. Did they not name that something else? It was Aida. Aida. T-I-Aida. Yeah. 
the marshals at the tyre test were given special instructions because of a particular threat. Um, they were told to wave the red flag to halt the session immediately if uh, they spotted this threat on or immediately beside the track. But if it was further away, they should just use the slippery surface flag. Was it, was it Game of Thrones spoilers? It was not Game of Thrones spoilers. Snakes. Or snakes, frogs. no. Not hawks. not frogs, not hawks, no. Eagles? No. Ostriches? Was it any kind of animal? Yes, it was. Oh. Bird? It wasn't a bird. Was Tortoise? It wasn't even a sand bird. <laughs> uh, mammal? It was a mammal. Uh, bear? Uh, smaller than a bear. Koala? Wallaby? <laughs> Bigger than a koala. Badger? Cow. Badger is correct. Ba- Bad- is ba- honey badger? badger. Honey badger? They have badgers in Japan. They have Japanese badgers in Japan. What's the difference between a Japanese... Oh, sorry, that sounds like a joke. But what is the difference? <laughs> I say, I say, I say. What is a Japanese badger? <laughs> What's the difference between a stoat and a weasel? A stoat is totally different and a weasel is weaselly recognised. What, what's the difference between a badger and a Japanese badger? Uh, Japanese badgers uh, live in Japan. Ah, they're big there, apparently. Uh-huh. Uh, so big that you wouldn't want to hit them in a GT car. No, I wouldn't hit them anyway. Right. No, not in any car. I like badgers. There's been a lot of dead badgers on the road mm. uh, round here. Well, they've got TB or coffee and guts, aren't they? Do you, think, uh, do you think they've just decided to end it all and walk out onto the major road? <laughs> Too much. <coughs> I can't take it anymore. Uh, so, yeah, Super GT at the top is threatened by badgers. With a flick knife. That is a good <laughs> yeah. But they that's a threatening badger. Yeah. Badger with a flick knife. Uh, okay, moving Peaky on. Peaky badgers. <laughs> yes, very good. Peaky badger. Uh, entries are now open for the right. 2020 Hankook Dubai 24 hours. Hooray! Of course it is. I'm and going. we've already got a date, haven't we? Uh, yes, it'll be the 15th running of this race. And what's the date? It's in January. Good, gone. Do you know what date it is? Uh, it's the second weekend of January, isn't well, it? Ah, now is it though? Is it though? Because that's early. Oh, I suppose the second, first weekend, I suppose, is at the start of January, isn't it? So it could be the third weekend of January. It's, that's the big news. Which one is it? 9th, 10th, 10th and 11th of January. So it is the, it second, is the weekend. second There yes. we go. Yeah. Um, but that might be the same day as Raw, mightn't it? Uh, it might be. Because otherwise Raw will be on the two. Mm. Or the, three. the one after. Oh, 17. Mm. Ah. Ah. Uh, well, uh, I see. and the next word is <laughs> um, right. Moving on. Uh, um, so, so what we should say is that will kick off the 2020 season for Creventic. But of course, there's plenty of Creventic racing still to come this year, and we have a race in a couple of weeks' time. Not a couple of weeks. One week. Eight days. Really? Nine days. Nine days. Yeah. And we're off to Bruno. It's Bruno. A new circuit yeah. for me as Not well. Not for me. I think I'm, I'm going to, I've not got any new circuit this year. It's very depressing. This will be my second new circuit this year. What was the first? Mugello. Ah, you ah. haven't been to Mugello. No, I haven't oh, been to Mugello. Have I been haven't been to Bruno, or I've not, been, not I've to not watch been, motor racing. I've, I've been, been through the town. Despite having been there twice before, I have this impression I haven't been there in the light. Was it that bad? It was both It was both times just like the back end of the season in October, and it seemed to be dark all the time. I know it wasn't, but it just seemed it to be dark. It was very dark last time we did a Creventic <laughs> race Bruno is very dark. All the time. Anyway. Yes, I just put it up. So I'm looking forward to going in the spring. I am very much... Is it, It's an interesting track. I want to get around it. I've got around it the last two, two times. I've done uh, lots of laps in virtual reality, and it's a track I love. I think it's great for motorbikes. There's a huge rise and fall at Bruno. I want to get around on it. 
I don't think we're there in time for that. Uh, it's going to be slightly early, but I think we're going to do still to come next. Really? Oh. Yes. Like, uh, so that we can pack so much into the second hour, which I said was going to be better anyway. I like the first hour. I the thought first I was hour has been pretty good, quite frankly. And thank you to Paul Trustwell for joining no, I think, and, and if anybody wants to know what Paul Trustwell is like, listen to that Paul Trustwell interview, because that was distilled Paul Trustwell. That was Trustwell at his most Trustwell. Uh, Trustwellian. Trustwell at, at his most Trustwellian. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul will be joining us uh, in the run-up to Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. Uh, and uh, we'll, we, I've, I've now decided that we're going to get Trusses on our Le Mans preview programmes to yeah. distill what's happened now though before anybody asks don't expect them until after test day okay no. so that's after we've already got dates for them in the schedule oh have you never until after test day all right okay Fantastic. i'll tell you exactly when they are they are on right uh excellent they are on <laughs> thursday the 6th right friday the 7th yeah and saturday the 8th of june so that's gte pronam LMP2 and LMP1 and one bis. We're only having three, are we? We're only having three. Right, okay. Super. Excellent. Uh, You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 14. Series 14. We've been doing this for 14 years plus now uh, with getting on for 50 shows a year. This is only episode 19 of the 2019 version of... Uh, of Midweight Motorsport uh, and we're live from up in London where Tim Gray our executive producer is pushing buttons and making sure that everything plays and Nick Damon is with me John Hindoff at Hindoff Towers here in the very centre of England where the birds are still tweeting and you can too at Specutainment but coming up Still to come on Midweek Motorsport and is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth please? <laughs> Mark's missed out tonight without that uh, non-baked Alaska. Uh, coming up tonight, we will be talking a bit more F1 uh, with the managing director of Silverstone Circuit, Stuart Pringle, joins us. Uh, we spoke to him yesterday. Uh, we'll also be talking to Shea Adam, who's been casting a practised eye over the 1,866... Dr- no, sorry, I've got that wrong. and over the drivers for the Le Mans 24 hours this year uh, who will be contesting the 2019 we'll talk two wheels poor old Johnny Rear or was he this weekend as we were in Italy for the main event pointless press release pointless press release of the week and our new feature Nostalgia Corner all to come in the second hour but kicking it off it's the big interview Midweek Motorsport on RS1. The subject of this week's big interview is Brian Gush from Bentley and Bentley Motorsport. Brian, this seems to be almost our annual get-together now. Uh, Thank you for joining us uh, here at Silverstone and making some time on a busy weekend for you and the team. What's been happening at Bentley since last we spoke properly then? Well, we last spoke about a year ago, and it was at Silverstone, I think. Um, yeah, so we've had a, a busy year last season, developing the GT3 and getting it ready for delivery to customers. And uh, I'm pleased to say we've we've got customers out there and doing very well. So we're very happy with the, the car in customers' hands now. We've had uh, two, three victories in America 
a victory at Alton. Um, so really pleased with that. And so this season, uh, it's it's go go go. Yeah, it's a fantastically competitive marketplace, both on the track in pure competitive terms, yeah. and also for customers. Into yeah. GT3 is going from strength to strength and continues to do so with new manufacturers, new cars, cars being refreshed all the time. That must provide you with certain challenges. How has the new car lived up to that? Uh, we're happy with the new car and the way the development has gone. Um, this paddock is very competitive, as you said. You know, there are 12 manufacturers um, all being balanced quite fairly by the SRO and, and competing at an equal level. Uh, so the competition is, is massive. Um, and uh, yeah, it's good for us. It's, it's a good place to be. GT3, of course, a global formula, as you alluded uh, to a moment uh, ago. Uh, that means that you can take the cars out and do some events like Bathurst, which I know is part of the International GT Championship as well. Bathurst is still one that's eluding you, and that's a, that's a one that I know is a bit of thorn. The thorn in the paw, isn't it, at the moment, that one? Yeah, that's another one that's held in Belgium. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, we've got that on unfinished business list, for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, GT3 just does, as a global foreman, it does for us what we wanted to do in America. Um, it, it's doing the job uh, of uh, brand awareness. Um, we'd like to get a team out in Asia uh, and uh, and in Europe. It's, it's really doing the job, both in British GT and in the Blancpain Endurance Series. Yeah, British GT looking fabulous as well, by the way. Um GT3, um, you, you've had as your focus at, at, at Bentley for a while. Um, there are GT3 classes, particularly in IMSA in the WeatherTech Championship, that you're not involved in. Now, in the past, you've always said, on this show, in fact, to me, you want to race for overall victories as, as a manufacturer. Is that still the case, or... Could you look at something like GT Daytona, as it's called, in IMSA, or could your customers look at something like that, and would you encourage them to do so? We would really like to see customers taking car to Daytona. GTD is, is a good competitive class as well, so um, certainly we would be looking at that and actively encourage it. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, overall, victory is something that we, we strive for, but there are classes now in Blancpain Endurance where we can do it. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we would support a... Uh, uh, an IMSA entry uh, in GTD. There are people salivating, even as you've as those words have come out of your mouth. Let's hope we say that. Um, actually, I've now remembered the last time you and I talked, and in fact, it wasn't here. We were up at fourteen thousand feet at uh, at Pikes Peak because, in the tradition of Bentley Boys, you guys take on the most extreme challenges around the world in sometimes the most unusual ways, and Bentega. Uh, in the production car category in the race to the clouds, the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, was last year's challenge, a challenge that you accepted with gusto and went on and blitzed the record. First a thought about that and what that delivered for you after the event. Yeah, Pikes Peak was a great event, a great challenge. Um, it's just such a unique event. Um, we achieved our objective there and uh, enjoyed it so much we're going back. Ah. And we're taking a GT Continental GT back to go for um, a pretty tricky record, this one. It's held by a uh, Porsche 9, 911 Turbo S. 
Um, so car's been prepared. It's um, currently on its way to the US for initial testing and look forward to seeing it at the Pikes Peak. Now, is that another production class that you're looking at here rather than a fully modified class? Yeah, this is a, a production road car class. Um, yeah, the only changes you can make are taking out uh, seats and carpets, etc. Um, put in your really substantial roll cage, <laughs> which is more substantial than the FIA-approved roll cage, mm-hmm. um, for good reason. Mm-hmm. And and then there, there are certain things you can change, exhausts, yes. they've got to have DOT tires, but... Um, yeah, we're within the regulations and uh, going to have a good go at it. But this one's tougher than last year's. Okay, I, I can't, I can't wait to see and ultimately hear the car as well. Will that be a V8 car? Uh, no, that's a W12. Right. Okay. Um, as the, the in the new uh, GT. Right. Uh, and we've secured the services of Rhys Millen again, so he's a top bloke and and really enjoyed last year. So we're looking forward to it. He has absolutely got the dna of a bentley boy hasn't he oh yeah yeah he <laughs> has got that and and he, he's just phenomenal uh really loves it and uh yeah uh just identifies with with that um pioneering spirit now away from all that it's been a busy time for bentley motor cars as well with the launch of the the new continental um things move quickly in the automotive world now product cycles tend from the volume manufacturers at least to be coming down and down and cars getting turned over very quickly indeed it's not quite the same for a prestige manufacturer like bentley but this is still an exciting time to be involved in the automotive world yeah absolutely to keep our our cars relevant in a in a fast changing world is is key for us so efficiency uh, is a goal um, in the cars and and yeah, making sure that they they retain their appeal and uh, and addressing customers' requirements. Yeah. And steer essentially Bentley as well, because with regulation and all those efficiencies, etc., that goes on. That there's is there a danger that the key elements and personality of a Bentley can get lost. Um, I, I think we, we pay a lot of attention to that and make sure that uh, a Bentley is always a nice place to be in uh, <laughs> and, uh, and has the performance to match. Mm. Uh, of course, with, uh, with electric, um, uh, high, uh, electric powertrains uh, coming in and hybrids, uh, you know, that low-down torque uh, becomes available to a lot of people. Uh, it was normally the preserve of a of a Bentley internal combustion engine. True enough. Um, and so we've just got to work harder to make sure that the Bentley is still appealing. I, I do think it's funny we're moving into a time when people are talking about the electric motor when back down through the years, often Bentleys were described as, oh, the car's so smooth and so quiet, it's almost like it's driven by electric. Is there a time in the future, in our lifetime, Brian, when we will see an all-electric Bentley? I think we uh, certainly Adrian Hallmark, our, our chairman and CEO, has said that um, we are going to move towards electrification of the powertrain, uh, and you know he he will be true to his word. Mm. Yeah. Bring you back to motorsport because that is I know your your first love. Um, we're at a time of uh, of great change in in motorsport in world motorsport, particularly in endurance at the moment. Bentley's link with Le Mans. Um, is extraordinary 
and even though you haven't been there for a few years now, um, this is Bentley's 100th year as well, and with a potential new set of regulations coming for the ACO and the World Endurance Championship, do you keep an eye on that? Yeah, we follow it, but it's a bit confusing to follow right now. So um, we, uh, we, we're we very interested in what's, what's happening, and uh, as soon as we have some direction, we'll certainly consider it and um, see what the options are. Is there a preferred direction that you guys would favour one over the other? No, not really. I think the, the ACO has to decide what they want to do with the, uh, the programme, what they want to do with with Le Mans, it, it's a fantastic brand. It's you know the the greatest motor race in the world, and um, they they need to decide what it is, and then we choose our weapons. I think some Bentley Racing Green back at Le Mans would uh, certainly be a big big fill up for for the event again, and it'd be great to see you see you back there. Let, let's finish off with uh, the GT3 package. Um, as we've mentioned, that's a, a balance of performance package. Uh, those calculations are, are never easy, but we've we've had some cracking racing in GT3 here in SRO and around the world. And your support for GT3 goes back somewhere now. Do you feel that that has been, in some ways, that that decision has now paid off? Yes, I think so. I think we've we've achieved what we set out to achieve with GT3. Um, you know, we're competing against worthy opposition. Uh, we're in a great paddock and uh, the competition is fierce nobody wants a walkover mm. um, and the car is instantly recognizable as a Bentley Continental GT um, so yeah I think it achieves all all that we set out to achieve in a in a in this competitive marketplace we talked about what do your customers think of it is it is it something that they look at and see it as an adjunct or does it bring customers into you who perhaps may not have considered Bentley as a brand without seeing them racing certainly that's the objective to to show us as a as a sporting brand mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we're well known for our luxury mm -hmm. uh, and the sporting side of it i think this is the best place to show it yeah and, and, and of course bentley has a great history on that side of things which is often not uh not thought about by by people today yeah and so motorsport is what wo bentley did all those years years ago uh and yep I think uh, that's where we belong. We belong in the racetrack as well as uh, producing luxury cars. Yeah. And how's things going up at Crew? Because the last time you and I talked, there was a big recruitment campaign going on, including a lot of modern apprenticeships, which you up at Bentley, Bentley Motors up there at Crew, have always been highly supportive, supportive of. Is that still ongoing? Yeah, there's, there's a consolidation phase that we've just been through um, with uh, Adrian Holmark taking over. Um, we've consolidated with the investment into the Bentayga, the investment into the Continental uh, GT, uh, and that is starting to pay dividends, and I think we're on a good, good track now. That's good. That's what we like to hear. And anybody gets a chance to go and have a look around Bentley, take it. I've done it a couple of times. It's very, very in informative. Um, you... GT3, um, you mentioned Spa 24, Bathurst 24, those two still very much, as you said, on the wall, on the t things to do list. Anything else that you think uh, you personally or, or Bentley and particularly Bentley Motorsport need to do in the next three, five, ten years? Um, I think what we're doing at the moment is keeping us busy. So I think <laughs> we'll leave it like that and you'll be the first to know if we 
do something different. Brian, it's always a pleasure. Good luck at Pikes Peak again uh, for 2019 and in your GT3 efforts. And let's hope that we do see some of your customers in IMSA very soon. Brian Gush, thank you. Thanks, John. Uh, Brian Gush talked to me over the weekend at Silverstone at the Blanc Pan uh, meeting. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Very interesting comments there. Nick Damon still with me. Tim up in London. Uh, and Shea Adam joins us uh, as well from Fort Lauderdale. Good evening, uh, Shea. Hello, John. How are you? Uh, very well. Very well indeed. Uh, let's take some of those comments uh, straight away. Um, WEC, let's major uh, on that to start with. Uh, describing the current situation as confusing, Nick. I think that's um, an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> Undefined. Um, Undefined, very good. I like that. But I don't think you can argue the point, really, can you? No, um, indeed not. Indeed not. The, the situation, by the way, and a lot of people were asking on Artspec Entertainment, yeah. the the soft deadline for manufacturers to indicate their participation in the current regulations that are out there, the LMP1 2020 regulations, what some people are calling hypercar regs, uh, that was yesterday. The hard deadline is tomorrow. The absolute deadline for those regulations to go forward, I think, is the 21st of this month when they've mm. got to go before the FIA World Motorsport Council. Now, they're, well, Glickenhaus House are in, and, and keep telling everybody they're in. Um, they're the only people that's in the, at the moment, and fair play to them because they've committed to it, Nick. Uh, what I'm hearing from inside the ACO, and there's been some more changes with inside, in the fuller organisation of the ACO as well recently but what I'm hearing from within the ACO is that the situation will be that there is another manufacturer who's interested one more manufacturer only one more manufacturer uh, that originally they were worried about the finance of the thing the finance has been the financial side of it has been uh, those considerations have been met but they are still worried that even as we stand, with only a couple of manufacturers potentially committed to this, that they could commit they would spend a lot of money turning one of their very expensive road cars into a racing car, and then it could still go another way. And that's the issue, isn't it? Well, once you, if you don't have a, a solid set of rules, you have a... What's the word for it? A mismatch of overall vision within the top level of the of the, of the governing body, um, and you're asking people to co- co- commit millions of pounds, uh, millions of dollars, sorry, uh, for a program. Probably. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not very likely. More importantly, how attractive is one other manufacturer when the only manufacturer we know so far is Glickenhaus? Lovely people. Um, you know, the whole point is you need three or four to make it work. Yeah, um, I, I just want to pick up one other point, which is not a WEC point. So, so basically, sorry, before we move on, um, we'll hear about that in the next few days. We're keeping across it. Um, I'm not going to offer any other opinion uh, on that, other than to say what I've always said. I always thought that those original regulations were a, a starting point, a draft, uh, rather than an ending point, which a lot of people seem to yeah. think they were. Um, unfortunately, I think the talking that's been done around them hasn't really gone very far. It's been a circular chat. Um, however, um, we'll find out what happens from Red Bull. It's Red Bull, who's the other manufacturer 
um, who are interested in doing it. We'll find out whether Red Bull commit or don't commit in the next few days, I'm sure, um, and whether they feel that the technical situation um, is uh, up to where they want to be. Maybe they'll um, just buy a customer glicking house. Well, that's true. Well, that, that, there yeah. you go. That's actually not a bad idea. Uh, bef- before we move on to the WEC news, uh, as Shea is here, I just want to pick up on one, and, and we've got some US news coming, but I want to pick up on one thing that Brian Gush said to me. Shea, Adam, that's the first time I think we've heard Brian Gush talking about getting into the GT Daytona, the GT3 class, um, albeit with customer cars, and, and seeming very much more bullish about that than we've heard before. Normally, as I said in the interview, they've been interested in winning events outright. Uh, they can't do that in GTD. But very interesting that he, he was uh, was particularly positive about where IMSA is at the moment. Yeah, and, and it's especially for us to see being on that side of, of the equation for American sports car racing. Uh, Bentley have gone and done racing in other series over here in the U.S. They yep. have won races overall, and clearly they feel like there is more of a competition, more to be won in GTD than winning a race overall. So that's going to be pretty interesting to follow up on. Uh, David Alcock picking up on that as well. Tweets at Spectatim. It would be so good to see and hear Bentley on track in IMSA competition. Hope we see that happen. Um, possibly be joined uh, by Aston Martin going up from GT4 to GT. Daytona as well. Uh, let's let's go back to the WEC uh, and to, uh, in particular, share the Le Mans entry list uh, for drivers. Now we've known who the entries are going to be for a little while. By the way, oh, sure. but we've oh. lost well, we've lost some teams from the reserve list, haven't we? Well, the yes. reserve the reserve list is effectively um, a moot point as soon as we get to test day, because once you've had test day, um, the 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 list is is no longer active but but there are a couple of people who have have, have withdrawn effectively Shea. Yeah. seven teams have officially withdrawn there's only three cars on the reserve list left and no drivers listed against any of those three cars which i find kind of unusual because for the last six years or so at least every car on the reserve list has had one driver against yeah. it um so that's kind of a shock to that people were offended at where they were on on the 10 reserve list and now we only have three so you can tell it really is crunch time the uh, the list is uh, also we should pick up we were talking a couple of three weeks ago a bit longer than that now about the new garages what did you want to call them uh, uh we've got the railway actually the lean to of uh, <laughs> i've got now the lean to of and we Road? yes but i know it's in it Yes, but what what, we, what did you want to oh, call to it? No, I can't. I can't oh, we, that I can't. was that was great as well. I thought we were going to adopt that. I've just lost. I'll get, I'll get it back. You have to listen to that show again. I'll get it back. Right. Um, however, the only sensible uh, answer to that. I apologise, my brain died. That's all right. Don't worry. The only sensible <laughs> answer to that, to so that people weren't inconvenienced, who already had a, a an entry, was that United would take both of those garages and that's exactly what's happened and fair play to United because as soon as that was offered as a solution they tweeted that that they'd be very happy to run from the local petrol station quite frankly <laughs> so long as they got there um, <laughs> in, in, which I thought was exactly the right could, answer Could there be tactical advantage to being in those two new garages though? Uh, we talked about that at the yeah. time Nick and, and Toyota uh, down through the years have already have, have always been excited about that Yeah, they were loving someone just next to them to stop their easy entry It's getting in that's that, that you help with that's the thing yeah I mean it's uh, it's you have a totally easy entry in um, 100% all the time which is going to disappear 
So uh, yeah, it's um, I don't know. It's 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 a it's it's a good idea I think to get the extra cars in. Um, so we've got the 62, which is the new record. Um, I'm done. I'm just trying to remember what I called those things now. We've got a terrible senior moment. Don't worry. Mid 50s senior well, moment. Well, well <laughs> done to, uh, well done to, the uh, went on to, the ACO and to. United as well for the way that that's been played. Uh, Shea, in terms of the drivers, um, anything that sticks out straight away? Mark Patterson, of course, after a nasty incident, isn't going to be at Le Mans, so we now his have have his replacement. Yeah, and and Mark will massively be missed. A great character in the paddock, and I really will miss his uh, doing caricatures of everybody he can possibly see as he does at scrutineering because drawing is just something that he really enjoys. But it will be David Zollinger in for Mark Patterson at Algarve Pro. So David, who is a coach to many drivers and an instructor at a fairly low school to Le Mans, uh, he's going to be a solid replacement. But Mark's presence, definitely those issues that can't be filled. Uh, what else is catching your eyes for the driver's concern? Well, a um, couple of really interesting things. By the way, bear, just forgive me a little bit because I'm only up to the Porsches and GTLM as far as my list goes for homework. Go on the list, but by Collis has listed two other drivers against their car, Paolo Ruberti and Oliver Webb. So that's going to be an intriguing entry to the LMP1 class. Uh, we mentioned David Zollinger. Will Owen, the young American who finished third last year with Juan Pablo Montoya in the United Autosport entry, joins our very own Cookie Monster and Ryan Cullen in the other United Autosport entry, the one that was added later in. So that'll be Brundle, Owen, and Cullen. Rolls a little bit there. Um, GTE Pro, no real surprises in this class. Pretty much everybody. But expected, but it's worth mentioning. Jesse Crone has been called up to join the WEC squad at Le Mans for the first time. It, last year, that was Alexander Sims's seat. He's doing full season of Formula E this year. But it's just a little bit interesting to see that, yes, he's been given this call up, even though Alexander has two starts at the race and yes, he is a true rookie. So that's going to be pretty intriguing when we get to the race time. Um, GTE AM is the most interesting story coming here and the most unexpected one, unless I just missed the announcement somewhere, Pat Long sharing a Porsche with Nick Janssen and Tracy Crone. And I think this is their 14th yeah. or 15th time together as a duo. Uh, put them with the Ginger Ninja and Patrick Long. That's going to be one heck of a Porsche. Yeah. Um, just looking at the toyotas they've got buemi and conway in both cars at least for, for the test test, test. Days. yeah yes and they've also listed brendan hartley and he's going to be making his toyota debut at the test but it's hard to read into the test day entry list versus the actual race day entry list because there's so many drivers who get an opportunity to test maybe in anticipation of running the race next year versus people who have already been guaranteed the seat for 2019 Right. And yeah. by the way, I counted 62 drivers on the list out of 185 that we have already who have already raced or are racing this year in IMSA competitions. So that's right. another feather in our right. cap. And 62 is the number for Risi Competizioni, and they announced a really crazy livery this Tenuous. week. I'm not sure if you've seen it yet. Very good. You did that. Well, that you need to be on commercial local radio here if you're going to do segues like that. <laughs> uh, hey. th this this was the product of a competition that was run by Risi Competizioni and Ferrari 
uh, and the Ferrari France colours, the blue colours were were chosen uh, by the winners and they were tidied up and made to work on the car by our good friend Andy Blackmore. And he did a really good job. I like how they're using two different shades of blue as well because one of them is supposed to represent France and one is supposed to represent the United States. So it's a bit of a a cooperation between the two. And it's not going to be our full racy crew that we're used to seeing over here in the States running over to run the race. They're going to have a little bit more European help, but it'll still be the usual cast of characters. And I'm sure we're going to run across Beaky over in the uh, pit lane. I don't know, because he's got other things going on at the moment he's got another project yeah, hasn't but he? he just can't stay away nah, that's he's true. got magnets you know <laughs> that that's very true uh just getting this in by the way we were just talking about the soft and hard deadlines for the 2020 uh regulations for manufacturers to jump in and just hearing from an exceptionally well-placed source in the organization that the deadline may well be extended well, help. for red bull <laughs> to make up their mind uh, that news coming in uh, as we're on the air at the moment and uh, I'll, we'll wait to see if we get any more news on that. Uh, dangerous thing to do. Given, well, yes. given this weekend, it does mm-hmm. does seem that uh, the winner of the early 80s Eurovision Song Contest is very apt. Yes. Making your mind up. Ah, but books fizz. Mm. Very good. We should. We should I love the way that Shay's laughing when she has no, no idea of any of the references. No clue. What's your? Nope. Uh, uh, what's your favourite Eurovision song? Ding a dong. Ding a dong. 1975. Teaching. I Netherlands. No Dutch good. winner. You see, Zanvoort and Teaching. You did that well. You did that well. Uh, I, I'm also a fan no, of actually, Ding a dong. Though actually, I, like I, I really, really like the winner two years ago, the Portuguese guy. That's fantastic. Gina G. Who are just, just a little, little bit. bit. <laughs> and of course, Abba. I, li- I like people well, who are no, clearly no, uh, like representing Abba. a country that's not their own. Like, like uh, Celine Dion, Dion, Dion yeah. being Swiss. Or Johnny Logan, the first time he won. He was Australian. Just year. He was an Australian I at know. that point. He only became the, an the, Irish citizen by the time he won the second time Once he won it, around. yeah. Won it twice, wrote the winner once. Uh, sorry. Well, literally at this history. point now, we're in yeah, my comfort zone. Sorry. And didn't Demis Roussos do it for a... Country we we that, should really uh, do one year. We should really, really do an alternative Eurovision Song Contest with <laughs> How can you get alternative? It's, it's alternative enough. Uh, have you watched the uh, semi-final no, stop, last stop. night? Stop. We haven't got time. No, got time. I, 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 it spoils it, so I don't stop. watch semi-finals. Have we got any more for Sean <laughs> WEC? Or uh, we one bikes? thing for next season's WEC, which right. is that... Um, Racing Team Netherlands, and we're going back to Holland again, uh, are switching from Dalawa to Orica. Yes, but still oh, running in the jumbo colours, uh, which uh, I, I, I like the fact that people are trying to say that's a Minardi uh, tribute livery. Well, what? Yellow and black. That's Minardi the jumbo was green and black, wasn't <laughs> it? No, it was 40 was green and black. Yeah. Minardi were all sorts of colours, depending on who was sponsoring their particular drives at the time. 40 was pure yellow. And getting green as well. No, because it? It, it had an Irish sponsor. It was Shannon for a oh, while. Of course, there was oh, a Shannon. Stop, yeah. stop that geeking. Who, stop will, geeking. who will be very similar in their uh, ability to pay, I predict, as uh, Rich Energy later in the year. Never mind, keep going. Let's, uh, <laughs> uh, let's go to Twitter. A uh, lot of people reacting to what's been said by Brian Gush. Uh, good to hear him on the show again. Nick Holland saying about WEC, Red Bull's decision to go or not to go into LMP 2020. Surely did driven by Adrian Newey's desire for an engineering triple, triple crown. I'd be quite hopeful he's a man with a passion. If it keeps him engaged, it'll be money well spent by Red Bull Racing. Uh, 
Michael Hetherington joining the dots and seeing um, Red Bull Valkyrie, anybody? Well, yes, that, I presume, would be the car that would use. Aston Martin don't have the budget to develop that car into a race car, but Red Bull have unlimited finance. So well, that would make sense if right. it was going to be that. In fairness, it's unlimited. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave Alcock saying there's a lot of sense in the notion be great for the brand if the hypercar class really happens, then Red Bull Valkyrie would have a lot of merit. Uh, keep it coming. Uh, right turn lovers saying hypercar will rise like a phoenix. What, like a phoenix Audi then? Uh, okay. Uh, at Specutainment, let's hear about that. Maybe we'll find something out before the end of this week. Uh, there may be a press conference. There was a press conference, uh, or at least a, uh, a press release due on Friday, but that that may have dissolved into thin air now and be ra- waiting <coughs> in the wings until race week, as late no, as race week really? is what we're hearing, uh, as we're on air at the moment. Where would you like to go next? Oh, Tim? well, the mention of uh, Yumbo there uh, reminds me that the uh, Yumbo race weekend is taking place at Zandvoort this weekend. It is, yes. And uh, we'll have uh, some audio from that on next week's Midweek Motorsport. Will we? All right. Because uh, uh, we're going to try and see if uh, Max Verstappen will comment on the Dutch Grand Prix. Yes. Fingers crossed. Yeah, okay. I mean, obviously he will, but whether or not he does it to us is... The key. Let's move on to two wheels now, right. because Le Mans is the venue for this weekend's round of MotoGP. Yes, but not the big track. Not no. the big track. They the last seven French yeah. MotoGPs have all been won by Spanish riders, and not the same Spanish rider, right. but four different ones. Lorenzo Marquez, Maverick Vinales, and um, Pedroza. And he did that without recourse to the computer screen, by the way. Is that right? Is that going to continue this weekend? Obviously, I was right. The first of four, I guess. Um, Is there another Spanish rider who could win it to make five different Spanish riders? Hmm? Alex Rins. Rins, very good. Um, Unlikely, though, in fairness. Don't know. It's it's going all right. It's going all right. I mean, I think um, if Marquez um, wants to win it and doesn't fall off, he'll win. Um, don't forget, this is the scene. This is the scene of um, Zarco's meltdown, where he stuck the thing on pole, had a nightmare, and that was it. The lucky lean twos, by the, the way. The lucky lean twos. Alan Prosser thank, has you, Alan. thank you, Alan. The lucky lean twos. It's a good job we have listeners. Yes, thank you. Saves us a lot of work. It saves a lot of brain cells. <laughs> uh, World Superbike was last weekend. <laughs> no, only two races. Two days ago. Yeah, last weekend. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Only two races because of bad again, weather. Again, that's twice. Yeah. Twice in a row they haven't run it rain, but it's happened. Yes, someone was on pole, other than Alvaro Bautista, and it was his teammate Chaz Davis. Yes, but he Hooray. had a failure uh, in the first race. He had a car failure in the first bike race, failure. and a brain bike failure, failure. Bike failure, and a brain failure in the uh, sprint race. And some some Irish guy managed to get a lucky win. Poor old Johnny Ray. Poor old Johnny Ray. Yeah. So he's, so after twelve. But you know what? Yeah. But you know what? That means that his record is now a joint record for the number of consecutive wins. 11 wins on the bounce. He won the last 11 races of last year, and Alvaro Bautista won the first 11 races of do you this ca- year. The thing is, it's different though, isn't it? Because all those 11 races that Johnny won were the full-length races, yeah. whereas These four only were the little, no, the little tiny um, the Super Bowl races. qualifying races. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very well done. Good sponsorship mention there. Um, but no, it's great. Well, I, I, watch. I, I watched it, and uh, it was it was nice to see something different happen. Bautista was very magnanimous. It wasn't he wasn't a track that he knows very well. It's not Correct. on the um, MotoGP circuit, 
And he he said, well, I'll just take the, he breaks it. I'll take the point and go on to Hereth, where I do know very well. Um, Laverty with a nasty. Ouch, bro- he yeah. broke both wrists. wrists. Both wrists, seven in the right and three in the left. That's got to be hard. And Tommy Bridewell came uh, in. Hang on. Go on. I haven't finished talking about Eugene Laverty yet. Well, no, that's what I'm talking <laughs> about his replacement. Uh, Pippa Laverty tweeted. Right. Eugene goes to some lengths to test whether I'm ready for motherhood <laughs> with feeding him, dressing him, coping with sleep deprivation and wiping his bum. I think I'll party for another year or two as it's not as fun as my mum friends make it out to be. <laughs> Very good. He was uh, out of the track almost immediately, off to Spain to see the good doctor. That's um, nasty. And uh, pictures of him over the weekend already on the road to recovery. Tommy Bridewell from British Superbikes came in um, extraordinarily came in and got I think a lap and a half before the bike broke down so he'd done virtually nothing at all uh, didn't didn't qualify dead last which is what his manager thought he would and bear in mind that the British Superbike formula is quite a bit different now from World Superbikes because mm. they don't have all the electrical gizmos and particularly the traction control it is different, yeah. so he wasn't used to cracking the throttle wide open uh, he got used to it pretty quickly I think he qualified two off the back he scored points in both the races yes, uh, I think I think it's, unfortunately for him he didn't get the second long race because he was still learning in the first long race it was very obvious yes he was still learning in the first long race he was much better in the uh, the qualifier race uh, and he would have started further up the field but brilliant for him he's put himself on a few people's radar uh, not the only casualty of the weekend either. Uh, no because he lost uh, Leon Cameo also but he got away without breaking anything he just had a, what, one of those very nasty slap downs where everything's bruised the, the, the only good thing about the weather delay on Sunday was BT Sport who cover it in the UK who stayed on the air for all of the time. They did a cracking really? job, yeah. And they showed one of the greatest World Superbike races at any venue of all time, which was race two in 2002, which was the battle effectively for the... Well, no, it was the battle for the World Championship. Uh, and it was absolutely brilliant. And they showed it in its entirety. In 4-3, and I was <laughs> immediately transported back to one-piece leathers and knee sliders. The... World Superbike always used to be on at the same time as the Grand Prix, yeah. and earlier than the Grand Prix, so we always used to watch it whilst we were getting ready for, to, to go on air for the races. So it used to be from like half 11 to about quarter past 12, and then we'd go on air about half past 12 for the Grand Prix. It was great. That was Colin, it was Colin Edwards, of course, uh, who won the race, and therefore the World Championship, I think. Uh, Troy Bayless would have been second, but he... Um, even if Troy had won, I think Colin had to be third. And he tried to back him up so that Ruben Zaus could oh, name from the overtake him, his, his Ducati teammate, uh, and couldn't get it done. It was it was great. Uh, it was, uh, sorry, it was Eurosport, um, not BT Sport. My apologies. Thank you, Brody. Yeah, BT Sport do manage UP. Yeah, they do. Indeed. Eurosport had those, those massive days when they've got BSB and... British Superbikes British British on, on the same thing and basically just block out like nine hours. Uh, you listen to Midweek Motorsports. Let's move on to pointless press release of the week. Tim Greer, the news up? that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Number of contenders this week. 
including one which claimed Robert Schwartzman claims first ever Formula 3 pole position. No. No, he didn't. Stop rewriting history. The first ever Formula 3 pole <laughs> sitter was John Taylor. It is in a Tyrrell Cooper at Mallory Park, and it was so long ago that Robert Schwartzman's parents weren't born yet. <laughs> so the, the essential... And your championship isn't actually Formula 3. F3, not F3. God, uh, the angry, essential, Tim. essential word missing there was his... It's not even his, because I think he's had a pole position oh, really? in uh, oh, proper God. Formula 3 in the past. Right, moving on. Uh, the one I've selected this week comes from Hungary. Right. The Hungaro Ring, home of the Formula One Hungarian Grand Prix 2019, is thrilled to announce the launch of an incredible competition for Formula One fans to win the trip of a lifetime to the Formula One Rolex Magyar Nagy 2019. Right. That's alright so far. Taking place on August 2nd to the 4th, where they'll get the chance to meet Robert Kavitsa. Well... Well, will they, though? That's the question. That well, you, he's not doing anything else, because Nicholas Satifi was driving his car. By then, possibly. Because what are, what are Williams like? They like the Canadian cash. Oh, but Latifi <laughs> will want to that. stay in uh, uh, Formula 2 and win the title. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. I don't think so. I think, I think if Daddy says, I've bought the team, now you're in the car, that's going to be what it will happen. Is that it? Oh, no. Oh, please. One winner from outside Hungary and one from the host nation itself, along with a guest each, will be chosen to attend all three days of the Formula One Rolex Mujahanaji 2019 and have the opportunity to meet Robert Kubica in person. <laughs> what, rather than what, a fake rather one? Than, I was going to say, rather than a cutout. <laughs> the competition prize will include flights to Budapest, a four-night stay in the Hungarian capital, and two three-day a tickets. A fortnight stay? A four-night stay. Oh, sorry, I thought you said a fortnight. <laughs> I was going to say, for what's each, the second prize? For each winner and their chosen guest. In addition, each guest will receive a paddock tour, which will include a meet-and-greet with the hugely popular Polish driver, Robert, Robert Kubica, Kubica. Who's returning to the Hungar Ring to race for the first time since 2010. Possibly. possibly. <laughs> He's returning to the Hungar Ring, and he possibly will be racing for the first time That's since right, 2010. Yes. With nearly a fifth of tickets for this year's race already snapped up by <laughs> polls. <laughs> nearly a fifth. Oh, by polls. Nearly yes. a fifth by Oh, this could be a, this could be a problem, couldn't it? The right. Formula One Rolex Mujanaki 2019 is as good as a home race for Kibitza. And it's, as it is for the Finns as well, because weirdly, all the Finns go to Hungary. I know I have the best fans in the world, but now it's time to show the world why you are the greatest by showing me your wildest celebration. I can't wait to meet you in Budapest, said Robert. Mm, and by the way, could you point out to Claire, I'd really like to be driving at that point. Uh, fans are invited to demonstrate their credentials as the most passionate fan in Formula One in the most creative way they can, be it via photo... A like song, a, a short video, animation, oh. poem, haiku, etc. Yes, animation. You can you can do your own Robert Kubica animation if you want to meet him. <laughs> the more creative and passionate, the better. Leave it. I, Let's yeah, so just leave it. Let's move on. That's pointless press release of the week. This yes. Week. Okay. Let's uh, let's move on. We Next. need to move on to our new uh, occasional feature. Right, new occasional. This is nostalgia corner, which is a surprise corner. to all of us. What what do we? Well, it's where, less where of a surprise back? because I've been telling you about it all day. Yes, I know, but it was a surprise me. to all of us. <laughs> this week, yes, marks the tenth anniversary mm. of a collision right. between ah. Franz Engsler and Philippe Cholet. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that incident or just need a refresher, here's Martin Haven. The incident that involved the safety car in Poe and Franz Engler's BMW on the second lap of race two was investigated by the panel of stewards. 
The investigation ascertained that although the FIA race director Eduardo Freitas had started the safety car procedure, alerting the marshals for waving the yellow flags and showing the drivers the boards that would tell them that the procedure had occupied its position in the rightful place of the grid, the safety car driver had not been given the word to go. He left the pit lane on his own, steering into the middle of the track at medium pace instead of using the acceleration lane and the pedal on the right in the foot of the car. Guangdong International Circuit hosted round one of the Chinese Touring Car Championship at the weekend (laughs) and they paid their own tribute to the anniversary. The safety car was declared shortly after the start of the race to clear up the wreckage of Adam Morgan's BAIC Sonova, which had been taken out on the start line. As the leaders slowed down, a Neo SUV course car pulled out in front of them on the back straight. David Zhu in the 98 BAID Sonova D50 swerved to avoid the back of the car, directly into the path of his teammate and brother, Juan Carlos. Yeah. Rainy He went on to win the race in his Ford Focus, four tenths ahead of the key of Jason Zhang. Zhang's teammate Kai Yu was third. Uh, race two on Sunday saw Yu win from Zhang with Alex Fontana third. And Morgan did slightly better in this one, getting as far as turn two of the first lap before being punted into a tyre wall. I can't believe how similar that was to the original one that we heard Martin talking about there. I saw that last week and it was immediately transported back to the back local to fire Poe. chief. Yes, to the local fire chief driving the safety car, which he shouldn't have been, uh, of course. Uh, that's Nostalgia Corner for this week. You listen to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we've got quite a lot to fit in. We might have to have a bit of overtime mm. still to come. Uh, a bit of WRC. Shea's got some IndyCar, some NASCAR news as well. But next, we're back at Silverstone. I went up there yesterday uh, for a couple of things, including a special programme that you'll be able to hear uh, in the run-up to Le Mans about the new Silverstone Experience Centre. Uh, but I'm delighted to say that Stuart Pringle, the managing director of Silverstone Circuit, took some time out to talk to us about what's going on at Silverstone at the moment. Uh, and the first question I asked him is, how were preparations going for what might be the final Formula One Grand Prix at Silverstone? Very positive, thank you. Um, we got a really strong crowd. I think it's going to be a hell of an atmosphere. We were unsure um, about whether or not this was going to be the, the last race, and we had to explain that to the, to, to the fans early on, and they seem to have reacted with, well, we're not going to pass that up. Um, at the time that we're recording this, John, we remain unsure. Mm. Um, I you know, hope that that's not going to remain the case forever. Uh, Formula One won't have a Grand Prix at Silverstone. We love hosting races at Silverstone. It's a mere matter of the economics of the thing. Um, we're both charged with making money, and we've got to try and do a deal, and we're, we're not there yet. But um, we've got to be closer to the, to the end than the beginning, and I, and, and I hope there will be a conclusion before this year's race because we've got a lot of people coming this year, and they really want to know about the future. A lot of people perhaps jumping the gun then in reporting that the deal has been done and it's all sorted out and there will be a new deal. Everybody's read it on a number of different sites and not just from one journalist uh, I can take it you can take it from me it was jumping the gun um, and it, that can't be helpful Stuart well it's not ideal but uh, you know it depends where the leak came from if it came from their side perhaps they've made their mind up <laughs> uh, but no you know in serious, seriously um, 
we all want this done. It's frankly getting a bit boring for the, for, for the fans to have to listen to, the, to this saga. Um, nobody wants to lose a British Grand Prix. And, uh, you know, it's not like we put on a bad race or nobody no. turns up. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that's uh, not in our favour is the, the weather can be a bit questionable. But actually that doesn't matter because we have a fan base that book in advance. They come every year, come rain or shine, they book their tickets months in advance. We've got, we're lucky enough to have a mega British world champion uh, right at the front driving the crowd. But we've got uh, two, three... Three, two and a half uh, Brits. Um, <laughs> I consider Alex a Brit. I've known him as a uh, young driver through the BRDC scheme since he was Alex a, Alvin, of course, yes, um, for, for years and years. But uh, you know, we've got some young young blood coming through in Formula One, and that's really important to us. If we're going to sign a, a, a new contract, we need to know that we've got Brits driving the gate. And at this stage of the season, then with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, very much a local team, of course, I could almost throw a wheel nut from here to the Mercedes factory down the the A43 there. At this stage of the season, how important is that? You say that you have a very uh, loyal following here, but presumably that doesn't do any harm to know that the droves of Lewis and Mercedes supporters will be coming here to support what looks to be another very strong season for him and his team. Yeah, I think, you know... We don't really want dominance, do we? We want we, we want sport. Uh, so we could do with Ferrari picking their game up a bit. Um, you know, last year was good. We had Lewis come back from, I can't remember, what, what was it? It was 14th to second after that spin and a red car won. I mean, you know, it was, it, it, the script was great last year and uh, people, had a, people had a brilliant time. But if Mercedes run away with it again, I'm not sure that's great for the sport, however much we want the Brit to win. I mean, it's better that than the Schumacher domination. Those were, you know, that we keep Sally's amazing race records in the Silverstone experience remind us of that period of, of, of Schumacher domination. Then you, cross, you go across to the minutes of the BRDC board and you look at the gate numbers and things like that and you, and you see, OK, so when one do, driver dominates and he's not British, it's not good for selling tickets. Um, we're lucky that Lewis is British, but it's fundamentally, I think we all want a bit more of a, a battle. And actually, to be fair to Formula One, that's what they're trying to engineer with these new reg changes and Ross is working on. And that's Ross Braun, the, the uh, technical director for Formula One there. Sorry, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few people in this world that you just referred to by their Christian Well, names. you might, because, because of your position. I always feel I should call him Mr. Braun, actually, as he designed some of the cars that I grew up with in, in Group C. Um, Formula One is is one string to the Silverstone ball. It's an important string. Let's let's not play that down. But there's so much else going on, and a lot of it's a period of redevelopment here, Silverstone experience we've touched on. How's the hotel doing as well? Because that's a, another cornerstone, and I, I, I use that advisedly. That's another cornerstone to the development of Silverstone. It absolutely is. Uh, you're quite right about our reliance on Formula One. We, we, we don't want to have too many eggs in one basket. That's what happens is you end up... Uh, with your arm up your back and you can't live with it, can't live without it. So I have been very, very focused for the last three years on trying to diversify our business. What we need is, uh, we need a 52-week-a-year business, mm-hmm. not, not just a Sunday in July business. So the Silverstone Experience, uh, which opens on the 9th of July, will start to deliver us that wider, broader family audience, things for people to do on a Tuesday in November, not just a Saturday or Sunday in July. Uh, but the hotel, whilst... You'll have an amazing view when you come to World Endurance Championship or you come to the Silverstone Classic or, or if you're really minted Formula One because no doubt they'll drive mega prices for that <laughs> weekend to stand on a balcony in the hotel and watch the start. Uh, but actually, 
forget the motor racing, it's all about making the wing work as a conference and exhibition centre, uh, yeah. the biggest one between London and Birmingham. And really what I've been very focused on is trying to get use our brand. We've got incredible brand equity in the name Silverstone, but actually we haven't we we haven't used that that correctly. We've simply stuck to our old business. It's now, a venue. It's a venue that has a racetrack as part of it, and clearly that defines part of the brand. But you've got a lot of space here and a lot of great facilities. Use them. And we're geographically slap bang in the middle of England. We're not in the middle of uh, Great Britain or the United Kingdom, but certainly if you put a pin in the middle of England, uh, we're, we're within two-hour drive of one-third of the population of the United Kingdom. Wow. I mean, that's mega. And if you go beyond two hours, you start to pick up big swathes of, uh, of London and, uh, and the M25 area. I mean, we've got a lot of people that can get to here pretty quickly. And, and we need to start using that to our advantage, giving th- people things to do here. Uh, Quick words about the track itself, because the last time you and I talked, you were talking about having to resurface again on part of it. The plans are already in place for that. Yeah, they are. It wasn't on my to-do list this year. I resurfaced the Grand Prix circuit for the second time in just over a year. But uh, the job wasn't good enough last time. The MotoGP riders were particularly unhappy. There's a couple of areas where there's uh, it's out of tolerance by, by, by some measure and water was pooling unquestionably. Uh, it was pretty horrendous on uh, on the qualifying for MotoGP last year and it's a bit bumpy elsewhere and that's not what we paid for. So it's going to be done again and it will be done uh, to a better standard, a better tolerance and we will get the world-class finish to the world-class circuit that, that, that we have and we deserve. And I, and I know that was a source of, uh, of an important job that had to be done after looking at why the whys and wherefore. Nobody wants to apportion blame. That's not what, what happened afterwards, but it has to be fixed and it will be, is what Stuart is saying there. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit yeah. of what he says there. Um, going back to the Grand Prix very quickly, uh, initiative this year to make the start grid of the Formula One Grand Prix here at Silverstone look a little bit different. Uh, yes, we, we, we want to keep it fresh, John. Uh, we are, are you referring to the children? Is yes, exactly so. Okay. Um, yeah, well, we want to you know, open it up. Formula One have got this idea about, um, I want to call them grid kids, but I think they've got a, that's not, I'm not supposed to use that term. I can't remember what they've, what they've called them. <laughs> it no. fits. Everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, listen, if we, can, uh, if we can inspire younger people to get enthused about our sport, then that, that's good. And yes, a f- handful of children on a grid is, is not an enormous number but it's uh it's 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 an image isn't it it's a, uh, something that people can see on the television and think wow you know that that, that that lucky kid so formula one are under its current ownership are much much more fan-centric they're much more about the show we're in the entertainment business uh the americans do entertainment and razzmatazz better than we brits do traditionally so we can certainly learn a lot off them and uh, we just need to make it a great day out it's you know we we the, the, the tickets are fully priced and people, the people deserve good value they deserve yes. a lot of action uh, you know one of my battles at the moment is to stop too much corporate nonsense on track and get more racing drives me demented I don't want to sit there and watch some rich bloke being whizzed around in, a, in an Aston Martin why can't we have a historic F1 race or a sports car race or a you know, touring car race as we used to have back, back in the day but of course there are commercial forces at work and ultimately we just uh, we just provide the facility and it's interesting you should say that, but actually Silverstone has always done probably more than any other Grand Prix venue down through the years about that. And you mentioning that makes me realise just how much more difficult it must be to do that now with, with the overarching commercial uh, requirements of 
today's Formula One in place that, that comes from Liberty Downover? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would not, uh, I, I don't want to criticise them. They, they've got, they're working to a plan and they've got things that they need to achieve. But what we've got to try and make sure is that our interests are aligned. Yes. And uh, we're very good at providing... Uh, 130,000 smiley happy faces uh, daubed in red, white and blue and creating a mega atmosphere. They're ultimately a media company that benefits from the, from, from those images through their output and we need to give those loyal fans things to watch, not um, boring displays. Now, not boring is the racing through the rest of the year because, of course, Silverstone is, as we've said, not just Formula One, it's not just four wheels it's two but some of the smaller events down through the years that could easily be down through the year that could easily be forgotten about things like 750 motor club things like the the relay races that we have the formula fords festivals that we have here uh, at the later part of the year those aren't going away either this is a place where people come to race and it doesn't matter whether you're formula one or you're in a citroen c1 yeah. then this is the place to come and race it- it absolutely is, and you summed it up very well when you said this is this is a destination with motorsport at its heart. Uh, but we need to create things that draw new people to motor motor racing. Uh, the, the, the visibility we were talking before before uh, we came on air here about the visibility of motor racing in the United Kingdom. The fact that Formula One is behind a paywall to watch the race live, save for the British Grand Prix this year, and will that last last beyond that? You've got to yes, you've got great lots of channels on your television, but you've got to go and hunt it out. And can the casual viewer find motorsport? What we're trying to do is introduce a new generation of people to these remarkable club events, national events, all the things that you just listed off. Don't forget uh, the incredible uh, historic and vintage events which are so popular. You look at the amazing number of people that the Duke of Richmond gets at Goodwood every year and there's a huge appetite for uh, those sort of meetings are in Silverstone Classic is is one of the biggest of the year but actually uh, you've got the Classic Sports Car Club, the Vintage Sports Car Club Historic Sports Car Club this coming weekend, we've got some absolutely belting things and so when this family unit come and buy a ticket to the Silverstone Experience and they've done their two and a half hour visit and they're walking on the old track and they hear these amazing engines and they have a look, the plan is they should say, wow I didn't realise this is quite such fun, I'm going to come back again and I'm sure they will, as will we. Stuart, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to speak to us here on Midweek Motorsport. Thanks, John. Uh, that was Stuart Pringle, MD of Silverstone Circuits, talking to me yesterday. Uh, and Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent, is with us. Uh, it, Signed. He said, as I'm standing here now. Yeah, well, but that because they want to announce it at a certain time. They want to announce it on the Friday of the Grand Prix. No, he absolutely doesn't. He wants it before then. I had that with him beforehand. Uh, F1 Future Stars is what that initiative... I like Greek kids better. Uh, is, <laughs> is what that is called. Uh, and if you want to know uh, more about that, uh, this is the mascot programme, a part of the pre-race ceremony at each race uh, this season. Uh, Motorsport UK and FIA... Uh, future star got a motorsport uk.org uh, apparently oh no that hang on that's uh, that's the karting thing okay um search for it uh, there's a number of places formula1.com have got it there as well uh, so if you want to take a little bit of that uh Shea adam is still with us a uh, bit of us news to finish off we might have a couple Let's of minutes move of overtime. On to what well, have 
more than a couple I'd have thought. But uh, let's move on to IndyCar. No, we're going to do NASCAR first, because it's very quick. Oh, yes, we're going to do NASCAR first. NASCAR's bad Brad. Very, very quick. Yeah. Bad Brad, win number 30 in the Cup Series, and another win for Mr. Penske. So congratulations to all of them. Right, and that was it. Now we're going to do IndyCar. Yeah. Uh, it's been 18 <laughs> months since Simon Pagenaud's last IndyCar win. Yeah. But rain in the final third of Saturday's IndyCar Grand Prix saw him force his way through the field to victory lane, his third in this event. He passed Scott Dixon with five laps to go. The New Zealand drivers finished as runner-up here in the previous two years. And Jack Harvey finished where he started, third, ahead of Matthias Leist. That was a great, great run. Uh, everybody's going to talk about Pajano here, Shea, and I understand why that was, because the drive back through the field and the amount of cars that Simon Pajano passed after everybody stopped for wet weather tyres when the rain... Uh, it was it was virtually raining from the start of the race. Drizzle, harder, harder, harder. Um, but what a great run from Jack Harvey. And very few people will be talking about him. Let's hear from Jack first, and then uh, we'll have a little bit of chat about the Myshank Racing driver. Uh, it's a big one. Bigger one than I would have uh, admitted before I got a podium. Um, you know, it's not easy coming to the track and watching other, every, everybody else race when you're sat on the sidelines. Um, that being said, I'm extremely lucky, especially I owe a lot to uh, two people in particular, my manager, Bob Perona, uh, Mark Cannon from Autonation. I think those two guys really saved my career. Um, you know, they both stuck with us in a time where I desperately needed somebody. And, you know, we worked really hard to try and put the 500 together in 2017. And, uh, you know, we did, uh, you know, along with... Uh, what was then still Michael Shank Racing, uh, you know, and Andretti Autosport. <clears throat> uh, you know, you look back at that moment as a real pivotal, pivotal step and one that I, one that I needed. Um, you know, and this personally gives me a lot of confidence because, you know, it's been a little while since we were competing, you know, week in, week out, a lot of, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't gone short of opportunities, uh, which I'm grateful for, but it's, you know, being thrown in the deep end all the time is tricky and, um, you know, you don't always get the results and, you lose a little bit of confidence and whatnot where, you know, this weekend I, I knew we were going to be good coming into it. Uh, you know, we delivered on that. And I think just just for me alone, I feel like this is a big confidence boost that, you know, not arrogantly, but just in a humble way that, you know, I, I talk about showing it to ourselves, but I just showed myself that I can come and compete at this level. And, you know, I've got, I'm very lucky with the people I surround myself with at the track uh, and at home. You know, they haven't let me ever lose sight of, of, of that and my talent but uh, you know sometimes you've got to prove it to yourself and you know sat next to a piece of trophy is uh, is a nice thing and uh, third's great but first probably is even greater so I think everyone saw how happy we were and how happy we are to finish third but to win is still the goal so still a little bit of work left to do As I say Shea that might well get lost in the whole passion thing but that from my shank racing I know that they've got some help um, in, in running that car, but Jack Harvey hadn't even driven an Indy car in the rain before. That was a fantastic run for the man from Lincolnshire. Yeah, and just look at the performance of when he was dicing with Scott Dixon in conditions that were constantly changing on slick tires on a wet track. He performed like a veteran driver, like a champion. He drove beautifully. And honestly, people were looking at Dixon and Pagano, my money definitely goes to the Meyer Shank team for what they were able to do. But you can't ever count out Scott Dixon. And it's a rare day, John, when I'm cheering against him. It's a pretty weird thing. I'm all in it for Pagano. I've never seen Scott Dixon so happy about being second. Let's hear from him. 
Yeah, it was uh, generally a pretty good day. You know, we had some good pace. Uh, the start was a little tricky, kind of misjudged it with Felix and and uh, actually the 60 car had a, a great start. Um, so kind of just uh, filed in line there and, and was just seeing how it was going to play out. The restart, we had that really good jump there, got both uh, the 60 and the 10, um, kind of set our sail. The conditions were really tricky all day, uh, but a lot of fun actually. You know, I think... Um, you know, it's always hard to tell with a circle like this, especially after the you know the kind of sealant they've put on some of the portions of the oval. You know how how tough it's going to be once uh, you start to get some moisture on there. But uh, all in all, you know the the five red tires. I never got to the blacks. Uh, had a ton of grip and it was it was a lot of fun. So um, you know the second or third stint, I think there where we ran our double set of uh, run reds, um, kind of fell off a bit of a cliff with those. And then once we got to you know our sticker set, we we kind of set sail again. But um, yeah, in the rain, I knew, you know, with about 10 laps to go, I'm like, we're, we're going to get hosed here. You know, the front <laughs> tyres, we, we just didn't have, I don't know what we, I don't know if we changed the front wing or whatever we did in that pit stop, um, but we just had no front grip and, and had to stop the car too much to, to really, you know, keep time. Um, and we were hoping, we were talking a lot about, you know, whether it was going to be a time race or it was going to run the full distance, and obviously went the full distance, a lap or two shorter would have uh, would have helped a lot. But um, congrats to Pagano. Uh, it's great to see him back in, in Victory Circle, and they did uh, a fantastic job today and uh, had great speed at the end of the race. So, um, yeah, bummer leading that many laps and coming up second. Exactly. Uh, great way to sum it up. But thinking of the championship, he's still in a pretty good position there, Cher. Yeah, well, going into the race at Indy is always the big question mark because double points for the 500 throws things off. But Scott Dixon caught up leaps and bounds to Joseph Newgarden after that race. He's now six points behind JoJo. So that the race on Rothy is a distant 30 points behind Scott Dixon. It's a bit of a runaway going into Indy. But again, everything can change with the race at the 500. It's, I thought Dixon drove perfectly in terms of the race. Mm. He didn't risk the car. He didn't try to block a clearly faster Simon Pagano, and he took the points that were available. That is driving like a champion that he is. Talk about. We'll talk a little bit about Indy very quickly about the 500 next. But let's hear from Simon Pagano. And let's not forget, Shea, it's not that long ago till we were seeing, since we were seeing Simon jumping in and out of various cars in sports cars in Indy cars. He was for a, what 18 months or two seasons. He was pretty much everybody's super sub, but a winner at the weekend. And here's what he had to say after winning the Indy GP. Just to backtrack a little bit, the the, the car was just amazing all day. So. Um... It was really weird. At that time, I thought people were saving fuel, um, and we were saving fuel, so I, I didn't understand why we had so much pace at times. Um, and then when it started raining, obviously I had no knowledge of the track, no knowledge of our setup in the rain, so uh, you know, I thought, okay, well, I've got experience in sports cars. I've been racing a lot in the rain. I love racing in the rain, so I, I thought I'm just going to attack right away and see. And uh, Right away, I noticed our car was much better than the others on the braking, so I could really attack and get the tires hard quickly, and that's how I jumped a lot of people right away, and then I gained confidence, and uh, then I noticed a lot of people were struggling uh, with tire wear, and we didn't, so then I kept on pushing, but we're still trying to keep the tires underneath me, but um, yeah, it was just incredible to see the pace we had uh, in the rain conditions, and I took a lot of risk for sure, uh, maybe more than Dixon needed to take some risk uh, because we're in a position where I can take some risk right now and, and the car was so good that uh, I just gave it 100%, 100% every lap. Um, honestly, the last, in the last 
two laps to go, I almost thought about saving second, and then all of a sudden I realized, well, I've got too much space for this. And um, we caught Scott by a lot, and I guess you call it the penultimate lap, the one before the last? Penultimate. Woo, that's a word. And um, when I, you know, I realized that, you know, I had a shot, but I was out of push to pass, so my my only chance was to get him on the infield. but quite frankly, none of the passes I made today are planned. I just drove with full instinct uh, anymore mode, and uh, and it worked out. We've had you know amazing seasons. If you think about 2016, the domination we had, uh, 2017 was just as good. Um, quite frankly, we actually scored more points that year. So um, we had a really really good season in 17. And last year was was about understanding this new car. We I think we we saw that the my teammates and myself all struggled a little bit to understand it as as, as well. Uh, but um, that's where Tim Penske come as a strong entity um, with my teammates, with, you know, also my crew and, and my engineers where we all gathered together to try to fix the issues in a very smart way. Uh, without being too smart, uh, we went back to basics. We tried to... Uh, figure it out and, and the car is just getting better and better every race so now you know slowly I'm, I'm definitely gaining the confidence that I've had um, been able to achieve in the past and right now I'm driving better than I did in 16 so results will come but you got to be patient <laughs> Simon Pachinot a brilliant race for him at the weekend I looked every bit yeah. as good as he ever has uh, what was your thought about that fascinating in the fact that he hasn't been able to wrap his mind around the way that the new car drives mm. until it gets wet and then nobody else can wrap their hands around it. And all of a sudden Simon's going, Oh, Hey, I get this now. So it just goes to show that Simon is such an adaptable driver and his experience across all the different platforms. Like you were talking about, that's what made the difference. And that's what helped him get to the victory lane at Indy. Uh, we've got forge line inside forge line coming up next. Stay tuned to RS one. Uh, after Midweek Motorsport. Tim, what would you like to talk about next? I'd like to talk about baking powder. Of course you would. Uh-oh. Uh, because uh, the Indy 500, as we know it, is built on baking powder. Yeah. It was the uh, fortune created in the 19th century by Clabber Girl that helped the Holman family uh, pay for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which was a dilapidated pile of wood after the Second World War, uh, and turn it into what it is today. But this week they have announced that they are selling it. Really? Yes. What, Uh baking powder? Yes. The Clabber Girl Baking Powder (laughs) Company is being sold to uh, uh, the company that is basically Green Giant. Oh, really? Mm. Wow. Wow. Uh, it's been a family company all that time. For more than 200 years. Wow. Gosh. Our core focus is the pursuit of world-class motorsports competition and entertainment, said Mark Miles. This decision positions us to fully focus on the continued direction and growth of IndyCar, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IMS Productions. It also provides Clapper oh. Girl with a well-prepared owner ready to use its vast expertise and considerable resources to accelerate accelerate the growth of the newest member of its impressive portfolio. Very good. Uh, we're under a yellow flag at Indy at the moment. Felix Rosenquist's gone off at turn two, sitting in 15th position uh, in the times today. Fully three and a half tenths off the, the leader. Not the only person who's had problems today, Tim? 
Uh, no, the first to crash was Fernando Alonso. Sorry, who's that? Some so, is that some sort of um, European driver we never heard of? Yes, yeah, so who's, who, who's bought his ride? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. Bought his team actually. Bought oh, team. he must have a rich daddy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he'd do all right again this year. Do you really? Yeah. I. Um. I don't think he'd do. Um, will you, will you give do me you know the what? field then? Sorry. Will you give me the field then, and you'll take Alonso? No, 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 hell no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. I'll, I'll, I'm happy to talk about it after qualifying this weekend. So on next week's show. Oh okay. yeah. All right. That, okay. That's, fair. that's fine. Who's yeah. going to get bumped? Well, well, that's a good question, Shay. Who is yeah. going to get bumped? Because we we have a situation at Indianapolis for the 500 this year uh, that we haven't had uh, on these numbers for quite some time. C- currently. Uh, it is Matthias Leist, Pippermann and Ben Hanley who are in the bottom three positions. Yeah, but yesterday it was James Hinchcliffe in Jack Harvey's car, Oriel Servia in his own car, and Ben Hanley who are in the bottom three cars. How so many cars did Hinch drive? 112. Uh, four or five. Um, I, I think it was four because he did something about this seat feels too big, this yes. is too small, this one's Right. Did he have Which porridge really as well? Clever. Yes, that was, it was. <laughs> it was a very, very good tweet. That we're gonna have to start calling the Mama Bear, aren't we? Or Goldilocks. Yeah, Goldilocks, yeah. yeah. Goldilocks, yeah. Uh, Young Racing in trouble. They've lost their sponsor. Careless. Cars were all all white. Not all right. They were all white. All of a sudden, they've changed colour. Shit. What's going on? Lost. Big sponsors the week before qualifying. Kyle Kaiser did go out on track today. He has completed quite a few laps. He's only three tenths off the pace and about a mile and a half down in terms of miles per hour, um, which is significant, but currently 11th. So it looks like Yukos might not be in danger of getting bumped, and that would be exactly what they need to try and help get some color on the side of that car. It, it really is going to make Sunday for some fascinating watching, though, you know, sitting in front of your TV all day, just waiting to see who those three are who don't make it. Here's the big question, though. If it's a big name, is it more lucrative for Yunkos to sell their spot on the exactly. grid That's what they'll do. if they've got no sponsor? They're desperate to qualify so they can sell the spot. That is not going to happen. Carl Kaiser has said he will race if he qualifies. Well, of course oh. he says that, that puts the price up. It's the same as Silverstone saying they haven't signed the contract. We all know it's happened. We're not he he was on. the fastest rookie yesterday. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, Herta was really fast yesterday too, though. And he's slow today. Holt, so, again, Holt practice. Kurta. <laughs> Colton Werther. Holt yes. Kurta. <laughs> Norris McWerther. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, plenty going on and then we will have to watch on Sunday year because there is you know it is uh, we're all playing we are playing for something we've got the got the six hours of the Nürburgring the qualifying race for the Nürburgring 24 uh, oh, early cool. on in the day and then basically settle back ladies and gents and qualifying for Indy that actually means something GP. oh and MotoGP yeah. yeah Saturday well on Saturday they lock in the Fast 10 so you'll find out who's going to be going for pole position, which in itself is pretty special and is important. Is it the Fast 10 or is it the Fast 9? Uh, might be the Fast 9. I thought it was... Uh, no, you're right. It's the top three. Top three on the is so it the Fast 8 fast... with Vin Diesel and The Rock and everyone else? Stop it. Yes. <laughs> the Fast and the um, Furious yeah, 9. Yeah. Well, well, Fast and the Furious then 3 will be Fu- The Furious out. will be the other three bottom, yeah. 30 something. Yeah. Yes, the Fast 9 and the Furious 30. Three. Who furious 3. Furious 3, yes. very <laughs> furious. They, they absolutely 
Hang on. Apoplectic Hang on. This, this, this is our concept. Let's copyright this quickly before we get nicked by Warner Brothers. What about the Furious Five? Oh, <laughs> we have them. Only, well, they'll have to stay above the white lines, obviously. They will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. I think that's... Uh, on that note, we should uh, begin Move to wrap to things Chile. up. Really? Yes. Oh, no, let's not. Uh, because uh, there's a Very big quickly. crash for You've got two Nerville at, at the weekend. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but Oat Tanak reignited his FIA World Rally Championship title bid with victory at the inaugural Copec Rally Chile. The Estonian led from the second of 16 speed tests on Friday morning in his Toyota Yaris uh, to win by 23.1 seconds from Sebastian Ogier. <sighs> Uh, victory promotes him to second in the driver's uh, standings after disappointing results of the previous two rounds. He's 10 points behind Ogier, who has replaced Thierry Nerville at the top as the championship uh, approaches its midpoint. Uh, over the weekend, as you heard us say, six hours of the Nürburgring and is the qualifying race. Uh, we'll lock some people into the N24 later on. We'll have full sound and vision coverage of that we'll be back next week uh, for midweek motorsport on Wednesday before we head off to the Czech Republic hey for Bruno Bruno I'm to go very excited about that Nick Johnny Joe and Paul you. and me oh well, that means we've got Joe on next week's show Joe may well be here for next week's show yes it better be Really? Blimey, yeah. Okay, a bit threatening that was. Well, we might have Johnny as well if he turns. <laughs> no, no, don't be ridiculous. Jo- be... Johnny right now is uh, under the ocean. Well, under the sea. Is he on the Eurostar? Uh, he is. is. He, is he, oh, I thought he was performing in a, a version of the Little Mermaid. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but he's doing it on a Eurostar train. But there's no time to explain. <laughs> there really is no time. To explain tonight. We've got a minute and a half before the next programme has to I love the severe voice that came out then. Forge Line. <laughs> inside Forge Line wheels. Uh, IMSA uh, and IMSA radio sponsor. A smashing set of people. They've been in the wheel game for a very long time. And if you, like me, are a bit interested in what goes on at the corners of your car, whether it's tyres or wheels, we've done tyres in the past. This is about the sporky things that bolt on to the hubby things. I've said that for... Nick's benefit. Uh, thank you very much to all our guests tonight. <laughs> Brian Gush, Stuart Pringle, uh, Paul Trustwell, and we'll have more from Paul in the coming weeks as we build up to Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. Nick Damon was here with me. Shea in Fort Lauderdale and our executive producer, of course, Tim Greer. The responsible adult has overseen it all and thanks for your input on Twitter too. Back at the weekend for a bit more live endurance racing. Until then, the llama is off to the Eiffel. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.